This episode is brought to you by the Project Manga Patreon, the best way for viewers to support the project and allow us a means to keep providing new and quality content to our subscribers. Go to patreon.com slash projectmanga and find out more about the perks we have available to patrons, including early access to all of our content and exclusive videos like behind-the-scenes footage and additional manga reviews. That's patreon.com slash projectmanga. All right, let's get into the episode. and welcome back to the Project Manga Podcast, where we cover One Piece, My Hero Academia, Jujutsu Kaisen, Ayashimon, Sakamoto Days, and Mission Yozakura Family, week to week. Back this week to discuss Weekly Shonen Jump issue number 19. I'm Nox. And I'm Melo Yenis. No Eagle this week. Me and Eagle got sick as hell a couple of days ago, and it really threw off the recording for this review. But I'm feeling better now. There's at least two of us. Mellow's here. We can do the show. So sorry for the wait, but we're getting after it. Before we get into the conversation, of course, we'd like you to take a look in the description down below. That's going to be where you can follow us on all of our individual social media accounts like Twitter. You can join our online communities like Discord. Listen to the Project Manga podcast wherever you normally listen to your podcasts. And there's also ways to support what we do here by checking out our online store or our Patreon. Also, please slap a like on the video and consider subscribing if you are enjoying the content over here at Project Manga so far. We upload weekly and we would greatly appreciate it. But, with all that said, let's finally get in to this weekly Shonen Jump review, starting with Ayashimon, chapter 19, until your chestnuts are out of the fire, Bye bye How do we feel, man? <laughs> I, this was, this is necessary, right? Like, yeah. we're all, we're already talking about, like, hey, because we talked about, um, during the fight with Kotom, we were talking about how Maruo really needs to like think outside of himself. Because yeah. he was talking, we were talking, it's like, is he real? He's not much of a hero. He wants to be a hero. He professes he wants to be a hero. But we were like, okay, how is he going to be? How is he being heroic? Mm -hmm. Right? As opposed to a, just a, a smoke monster, right? Right, how right. How is he being a hero? And this chapter finally gave us that. Yes. Where it's like, hey, without like reward to myself, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to help someone that is literally helpless. Right. This isn't a, you know, big bad in my way that wants to fight me. This isn't anyone that pissed off, you know, somebody on my team and I have to get, you know, revenge on them or anything. It's not the usual obstacle that Maruo, you know, normally finds himself in front of. This is a very, you know, completely separated, someone needs my help, I have the facilities to help them, and I'm going to do that. I mean, also, it helps that it, you know, goes hand in hand with the training that he was kind of doing the entire chapter. Oh, absolutely. But, but more to your point, that this is an act of heroism that isn't tied to anything selfish or immediately related to gang activity inside of the Yakuza, so absolutely no i i really liked that i also enjoyed like the training aspect and like the weird old man ozunu yeah dude he's fucking 
weird. Yeah, and very like, weird and quirky, but very cool in the kind of like, you know, older, experienced um, teacher kind of way. Yeah, so Enno Ozunu is actually like absolutely ancient. Um, mm. He's an ancient Japanese guy. He basically went under like Enno Ozunu or Enno Gyoja. Um, basically in the Kamakura period, like, he was, like, this mountain hermit, ascended to, like, mountain satehood, started, like, the Shigendo, um, style of Buddhism, which focused on, like, shamanism and spirituality. The dude got, like, exiled in, like, 699 AD. Oh, wow. Exiled to an island in Japan, like, like, one of those tiny-ass islands, because... He the the court nobles were afraid of him, at, because he was able to control. He was said to be able to control demons, to bind spirits to his will, to make them light his fires and chop and carry his wood and water. Oh damn! Yeah, and then after he gets imprisoned, they still like consult his like apprentices for like verbal <laughs> knowledge to like maintain the health of the monarchies and stuff and i was like that's weird <laughs> yeah like, hey you broke a bunch of laws we're gonna lock you up but gotta do what you were doing out here he broke laws at that point they're just like mm, you're suspicious and we don't like you and oh you're sure basically like a japanese rasputin except for we're not fucking you so get out of here <laughs> just back in the day shit it's like you look kind of sus throw him in prison let's talk to him i mean about if it. he looked like the ashimoto zuno of course he looked so yeah very ugly but, you know, how about, uh, he has a lot of charm to him, too, just, like, as that, like, you know, speaks in riddles, kind of, Master Roshi Yoda, you know, mm-hmm. like, like Hindu, Hindu Master Roshi Yoda type cat, you know what I mean? Like, I love it. I love everything that's going on in Ayashimon right now. I feel like Ayashimon, like, since we've been following it from the very beginning, you know what I mean? You, you obviously go through and you see, you know, if it has what it takes to survive in the magazine and what it's doing well, what it's not doing well, what could potentially get it axed, et cetera, et cetera. And for me personally, like, Ayashima not only had, like, an amazing first chapter for me and the follow-up mm-hmm. chapters after that were really good too, but, like, even when I start to feel like it's missing something that I feel like it absolutely needs, it isn't that long before Ayashimon gives me that, like, right on time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, we've been talking about it throughout our coverage, and and me specifically talking about how, like, hey, you're a big punching machine main character, now you've run into an obstacle that you can't punch through, and you lost to it, you know, in the form of Dopo, that was right on time for me. You know what I mean? It's like you, you, you introduced an obstacle or a wall that Maruo couldn't use his regular strategy to get through. And it was very early in the series when that happened to him. So I was really happy about that. And then to immediately follow that up with Katone in the way that it did another enemy that his current fighting style wasn't very good against. You know what I mean? And he, he had needed to layers. He, yeah, he, he needed, needed to he needed to adapt his his mentality and his fighting style on the fly to get through that fight. That was another thing that I felt like was necessary inside of Ayashimon. It's not just enough to lose, you know, when you are this like very strong, oppressive punching machine main character you know in the same vein as like a mashal or in the same vein as like a saitama it's Mm -hmm. not enough to just lose what do you do after the loss do you just get stronger and punch harder the next time like no you actually need to upgrade your outlook on combat in general as well as develop a new deeper strategic layer 
to your fighting style. So I was like, that was right on time too. And then you immediately go from that into, you know, the Kyo kind of like backstory with his relationship with Kyo, which I felt like was right on time. I was asking myself, like, when are we going to actually see Kyo and see like what he was about? Ended up being an amazing character, loved that chapter. And I was like, hell yeah, that's what I needed. And then to go from that immediately into power system exposition, it's like Ayashimon is firing on like all cylinders for me. And Yuji it has Kaku. been the entire time. Yeah. He, Yuji Kaku, they know exactly what they're doing like yeah. like we were talking like like he just says like you know every time we're just like hey when is this gonna happen it does Yujikaku's like i've i did that on purpose yeah so that you would want it now yeah. i'm giving it to you and it feels good don't it like yeah. i know what i'm doing yeah he's like i got and you it, don't even worry about it like i feel like it, and it's like we're only 20 chap not even 20 chapters in and people are like oh it's gonna get axed it's gonna get axed and it's like come on phantom seer got like what, 30? <laughs> I don't remember how far Phantom Seer yeah, went, but... but, like, yeah. most series will at least, like, get to, like, 30 chapters before they even, like, come close to getting in trouble. Oh, no, nah, no, nah, chapters get axed in the... Or, I mean, manga gets axed in the teens, I want to say, like, pretty mm, often. Yeah, like, you have, like, you have... I don't remember how, fa how far Phantom Seer got, but you had, like, you know, Samurai 8, which was Kishimoto's book, and then that got yeah. to, like, 41 or 42 chapters before they asked mm, it, probably, it. yeah, probably because it's, you know, Kishimoto, you know what I mean, and that's, like, one of the bigger ones that got axed in, like, recent memory for us, especially because we used to, like, cover it or whatever, but, like, by and large, I want to say you could see an axe as early as chapter, like, 13 or 14, I think Candy mm. Flurry, Candy Flurry only got to, like, 17, yeah. Nehru was less than 20, I want to say, you know what yeah, I mean, Nehru so, was, like, like, 14, 16, yeah, yeah, you know, so it can come, you know, like really quick. And Ayashimon has survived, you know, axe round after axe round, despite like Japan not really liking, you know, the tattoo chapter in regard to like how, oh, you, know, yeah. you know, closely it tied into, you know, Yakuza stuff, you know, for yeah. them over there. They really didn't fuck with that. And that makes all the sense in the world. But like outside of that, I don't think that there's like really anything that Ayashimon you know, is doing wrong for me at this point. You know what I mean? So I'm very happy with where it's at. I'm happy that it's surviving these axe rounds. I think Yuji Kaku has a great story on his hands here, and he's got a lot to show inside of it, and he has a really good plan for it. The pacing is another thing that I love inside of Ayashimon. I think it's paced brilliantly. Um, I think that the delivery of information is never too much or too little at once. Every scene you know, serves multiple purposes, either for the characters in, inside of the scene or the overarching narrative. So that pacing feels really good because there's no redundancy in anything that's happening. I mean, outside of Maruo punching, you know, characters a lot in the beginning, but we already talked about how he ran into, you know, a hurdle really quickly in that regard. So like pacing wise, everything feels really good inside of Ayashimon too. And I hope it, I hope it lasts as long as, as it, as it should. I I really hope so because like I understand like the hesitation to kind of glorify the idea of the yakuza, but at the same time, I feel like that's not what Yuji Kaku is going for as like an overall theme. I think he's yeah, going to reach out and like, hey, these are the reasons people came to crime, right? Like the Yashimon. The yokai, they're going there because they need money. Right. They, like us, are trapped in like this capitalistic funnel 
of yeah. their funneling their existence through the like the lens of like capitalistic uh, ventures. Yeah, and so like <clears throat> it makes sense that they turn to crime because how are they going to get money as a day laborer? Right. As a person that works a convenience store or waits tables in a restaurant or does the generic, you know, running services in the world. Yeah. That doesn't happen. Like, right. like, like that's why they turn to crime. It makes sense. And I feel like as we progress through the series, Yuji Kaku is going to kind of like point out the flaws in the system, point out right. the flaws in the society and like explore a little right. more of that, like why right. they turn to the the careers that they do, yeah, uh, and kind of condemn the situation, condemn the people that like, oh, I've bought into the idea that I'm a gangster and that I should be fearful, and they're like, you know what, you're just afraid, right, and you're projecting, like, yeah, <clears throat> and when you look through it, when you look at a series, you know, through the lens of like kind of like what you're talking about right now, trying to break down the reasons behind why things are happening the way that they are instead of automatically looking at it as you're covering the subject matter, you have to be glorifying it. That's obviously not how we want to be thinking about it. There's obviously a deeper message, especially with a writer like Yuji Kaku, who's known for like deep poetic, you know, symbolism and, and other kinds of analogs and whatnot, like we've kind of been talking about in this segment already. Like mm -hmm. you, you, it, what, what matters is, you know, relatability and whether or not a situation is glorified or whether or not it's something that you want to look up to or aspire to be, that's definitely not what I get from Ayashimon inside of this Yakuza story. What I see is more along the lines of what you're talking about inside of why are these characters doing this? They really don't have a choice. And we're looking at what it looks like from a bird's eye view at a situation where people are forced into this kind of situation and the kind of you know, people that can be nurtured from this kind of situation. So you can tie it back to like the hierarchy of needs too, as to why it is relatable, despite being such a despicable profession. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because you can tell that these people are missing something in their road to self-actualization. So you want that, whether or not you're familiar with the hierarchy of needs or whether or not you, you know, are actually looking at it through that lens from person to person who's reading it, at the end of the day, that relatability factor is there in the background, whether you're conscious of it or not, and that evokes certain emotions from the reader. You know what I mean? Yes. So like, um, that's what matters to me. And I think that you said it really well. They're missing something on the way, the road to self-actualization. I think that's gonna be a strong ongoing theme into the series, especially with uh, what they did with the, the power system. Yes. Because they're talking about like, you know, how their like prana chakras are like gonna be like the seven, you know, chakra points of the body. So like, yeah. like the crown, the third eye, there's gonna be the throat chakra, the heart chakra, there's going to be like the solar plexus pancreatic chakra, there's going to be like the splenic, uh, like ovaries, testes, kind of um, excretory uh, chakras. And then right. like below that, like around the taint or something like that is going to be the root chakra, which is going to be like the grounding chakra. Those are the seven chakras. Um, and this comes fr and like the discussion of like the Sathula Savira um, being like the, uh, the gross material body and the Suksma Sarira, which is going to be like the astral body, which is composed of like emotions and thoughts. And without it, the human body dies and withers. Mm -hmm. um, they taught that comes from the three bodies in um, Hinduism. Ooh. Uh, and yeah. they believe that the, you know, the Suksma Sarira 
is this astral self, it leaves behind, <clears throat> like, it leaves the body and is pulled through the thing. And then um, they were talking about, like, the Atman. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Atman is basically Sanskrit. It translates to breath or soul. It is considered the idea of, like, the eternal core of one's personality that reincarnates when one dies. It remains, it's like, it's like, when one dies, it remains, the body, like, fades away, and it's the part that moves forward and reincarnates, especially when we were talking mm. about how the Yashiman incarnate. Mm -hmm. So having a power system that focuses on something that is heavily tied to reincarnation, self-actualization, enlightenment, like, is going to be a huge part of this story. Yes. Because, like, Urara has gone through the growth of, I was angry for feeling abandoned and I want to lash out at the world and she's already grown through that. She's going to find happiness. Probably not happiness in the form of like, I'm going to rule Kabuki Cho. It's going to be like, I'm going to find happiness and let go of like the earthly desires that I once had. Yeah. Get closure from like, my pops, figure out what's mm -hmm. good with this Yakuza mm -hmm. situation in all the ways that I need to and just come into my own full potential as the character I'm going to make myself given my situation and my upbringing. And I think it'd be really interesting if she's like, I don't want to deal with that. And so she's mm. like, I'm not going to be in charge of it. And I feel like she's going to like defer control or like the basic runnings of a thing to someone like 10, which I think would be hilarious <laughs> in a very poetic way. Oh, because shit. I was like not 10... expecting to hear 10. I almost choked on my water. <laughs> no, because like 10 is a responsible hard-working kid who only came to the city so that he'd have enough money to fuel his existence you know whereas like Urara is like you know she was basically a trust fund kid that like wanted revenge on the world a little bit right um and i was thinking that like I'm I'm losing the tangent, but uh -oh. like going back to self actualization, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Maruo is improving himself by having his like his chakras realigned and having like all the like Nadi prana pathways. Yeah, the Nadi are basically all like the little tendrils, and it's basically the nervous system. Yeah, it's it connects all the various chakras and like has roots all through the body to like deliver all that energy that's been filtered through those chakra points. Uh, According to like some of the research I was looking into, like Hinduism and stuff, yeah. there are about seventy-two thousand to three hundred and fifty thousand nadi within the human body. Oh man! So it's basically just nerves. Yeah, it's yeah, basically yeah. Just nerves. Yeah, I, I'm starting to see like the vision on like an anatomical level a little bit more now that we're having this conversation. Because obviously, like when I read the chapter, you know, they put it in in the analog of like a water tank system. You have mm -hmm. this huge reserve of energy is the water it filters through you know these pipes that are the naughty i'm assuming mm -hmm. you know on the way to the faucet which is how you you know manifest and channel that energy outwardly in maruo's case through his fists and through his punches um yeah. so like all that felt really good to me but like now that we're actually like getting you know like a research kind of like breakdown to a certain extent i'm starting to see the vision on a little bit deeper level and that just obviously makes it feel a lot better too when when you have it from a couple different angles. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, yeah, because I feel like there is like, um, what's the phrase? Like wholeness. And I feel like Maruo is going to have kind of like um, 
it's like a form of like physical enlightenment, right? Yeah. Because the idea that like one transcends the like body and mind or something like that, like right. your mind worries about things and your body suffers things and you transcend those problems. But is it just like a leaving behind your problems or is it you hone your body so it doesn't suffer and you ease your mind so it doesn't worry, mm, right? Yeah. It's like, isn't it more of just a strengthening of all those things to have like a, a form of a literal fusion of body and mind where there aren't any problems? And that could be enlightenment. Yes. Like Maruo is deeply negatively wounded in his mind and uh, he's getting his body there. You know, he's already got the body. He's, you know, I feel like he, he's getting there. I feel like it's uh, enlightenment for him is going to be uh, more visceral than like what we see in like kind of like dry, like yogi style books. Yogi. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. On page seven. Um, I really like this uh, this part with Urara breaking down this like kind of like um, drawing of this human interacting with an Ayashiman. She's like the physical human world and the immaterial yokai world don't really touch. They only interact through the medium of cash. In order to touch a yokai, in essence, a concept, one needs to reach the immaterial. So you started by dulling his senses attached to the physical world, sight, smell, and so on. This was really cool to me because like I'm, you know, really into philosophy. I'm a really big fan of Rene Descartes and this like looks a lot like mind-body dualism, you know, to a certain degree to me, which is like a really interesting subject for me um because you have this human in the diagram that's punching the cash representative of this yokai's consciousness. Right? Is what we're like seeing here in this diagram. That's why you have, you know, the guy punching, you have the yokai made of cash and then you have the very you know, similar looking actual yokai presence behind it. And when you look at it through like, um, I don't know, like the Watchmen lens, like this is basically like how Dr. Manhattan operates after he went through the intrinsic field subtractor and got his entire physical being deleted, yet mm -hmm. his consciousness remained to put the pieces back together in the form of, of Dr. Manhattan. You know what I mean? So it's it's yeah. like a, you know, it's it's basically saying mind-body dualism exists in this universe, and it's also kind of saying that in this supernatural way attached to yokai inside of, you know, Ayashimon, because it's like the real yokai is in a different plane of existence that we can't interact with. Its cash representative is how it has a three-dimensional experience on the same plane as us, but it's effectively just something for you to look at and talk to and touch but the real yokai like isn't even there you know what i mean like for real yeah yeah, yeah you know I, what i mean i love the supernatural aspect of it and it it reminds me of like the idea of like the shadow and body reversed yeah where it's like for us we are creatures of the material world so our core is there and our spirit is our shadow whereas yokai are spirits so their true form is the shadow and their fault their their projection is just the physical form yes and i i really i appreciate that it was so good man and i love dial i love dialogue like this i love exposition like this and i love fucking diagrams like i love the chibi you know 
didactic diagrams that like you know artists will give us in manga you know what i mean because it just makes learning what they're talking about that much more fun when you present it in such a fun you know kiddish kind of uh kind of diagram to like directly contrast you know whatever else is happening like when you get it in like hunter hunter as like heads are being like broken and bodies are being cut in half you'll go into like mm -hmm. you know a, a page turn of like uh, a narrator breakdown of like how the ability is working that's causing this massacre in the background and it's like illustrated with really cute like chibi like characters in the diagram mm -hmm. like i've always loved that contrast in manga and and it's like one of my favorite things about it so when i turned this page onto this you know mind body dualism situation here i was like oh yeah hell yeah this is everything i love about manga almost like fuck yeah but I really enjoyed um, the mon the training montages. Yeah. Like on eight nine, I loved it, and I love how the Todoroki Alliance are like involved a hundred percent of the way. They're just like, yeah, you're our boy, Blue. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I love I love the fact that they're forcing him to jog. Like, he's getting faster and stuff too. Cause like at the first page of eight, he's uh you know they're dragging him. And by the next page, he's just keeping up with them. Yep. And I'm just like, oh, he's getting faster. Hell yeah. They're making him work out by pushing a semi-truck with all of them on it. And I like the little, uh, the bathhouse scene. Because, like, that is probably, like, a key moment of, like, relaxation for, like, most, like, mobster movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm just like, yes. Yeah. I, I love those old old-time bathhouses, like. They'll yes, boil your skin off, and it's you feel amazing after that. Like all the old heads are just like, yes, these bones, these bones were meant to stew. <laughs> yeah. It's it's ah, uh, man. Yeah, for sure. Public bathhouses, man. They're, Public bathhouses. I haven't uh, visited one ever in my life. I don't know if I'll ever have an opportunity for something like that. But Fair. I definitely, uh, I definitely get the appeal. Ah. It's great. <laughs> I've been to like a few while I, when I used to live in China, so I was just like, nice, Yarrr! nice. Hell yeah. Um, page 12. I love page 12 too. And when I'm frustrated, I bury myself in manga to escape. That habit hasn't changed at all. And then Buddy says, reading manga to recover, that boy is touching your Suksuma Sarira. Reading manga brings healing to your Atman and Suksuma Sarira. Their healing affects your body's healing. This is a really cool, like, explanation for this because, like, on the surface, you want to go, he reads manga and heals. That doesn't really make sense. But when you tie it back to this, you know, Buddhist or or, or Hindu, I can't remember if it's Hindu. Is it is it Hindu? It's Hindu. Yeah, yeah, it's Hindu, uh, yeah. The, the three bodies are the Hindu thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always, I don't know why, like, that's just, like, such a dumb, like, mistake to make, but for some reason, I just, like, flip those in my mind sometimes, so I just wanted to... It's all good. Yeah, 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 but anyway, um, anyway, he says, you know, all of these things, and, like, from a surface level, you're like, that sounds kind of awkward, but then when you when you view it through the lens of this this Hindu power system and how it's all about, you know, mental health first, and then that will permeate, you know, into the physical you know, in, 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 you know, in certain ways, it's like, that's cool in a fantasy series where I'm already suspending disbelief. Like that's a good enough explanation. And it's cool that it ties back to such a core personality trait of Maru. And it only works because it is such a core personality trait of oh. Maruo. It's like his jinky 
manga reading manga is like his jinky and like gachi uh, yeah, yeah 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 you know what i mean it's like this is the one thing you care the most about so immersing yourself in this one thing creates your perfect safe place when you're in your perfect safe place your mental is you know at its best being restored and yeah. being restored and once your mental is restored that will trickle down you know into your body because this is a mind body relationship that is being focused on here what is um, the relationship to the mind and body so your body healing through you know immersing yourself in the thing that you love the most makes a lot of sense for a healing practice in this power system yeah i um I actually totally like. I think it was easy, pretty easy for me to accept all of that stuff. It made yeah. sense to me. Yeah. Um, my mod uh, is big into like spiritual spirituality and like um, a balanced spirit and balanced mind helps lead to like fixing the 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 problems that your body will manifest. You know, like how yeah. you like if you're nervous about something, your stomach will twist itself and give yourself a stomach ache, right? Like the body responds to stress and like imbalances in your mental and like how you feel yeah into physical stuff and like i ah you want to know what i have heard about this because people are talking about like how you can die of like a broken heart and shit you know what i mean your heart has it parents did that um, oh like uh so like my grandfather did not last very long after his after my grandmother like passed mm. uh, my yeah yeah nai nai on my dad's side mm. and uh like after she passed he didn't last very long afterwards and like um one of my friends was just telling me uh, i was like yeah no um you know his his mom had passed and then a year to the day his dad passed mm. and it was just like people die of broken hearts all the time and like yeah. also if like there's people that like shouldn't like like a doctor tells them it's like you got cancer you got like a year to live and they maintain they're just like no fuck you i refuse to accept that i'm going to live and they yeah. maintain a very strong mentality and mentality does bear a huge part in healing one's own body right it's right like physical therapy if you give up in physical therapy if you're if you allow yourself to succumb to despair you never get to that point of healing yeah. or like or people's cancer can get worse due to someone's like negative you know outlook, outlook. on the and situation like, if, yeah. if, if they if they give up then you know the body loses its will to keep fighting for it yeah well, I guess um, it's not as much of a suspension of disbelief because this is actually real, just, like very real world that, things. <laughs> I was just thinking about like, time. you know, I was just yeah. thinking about how like Luffy takes a bunch of damage and he's down for the count, no more fighting, and then eats a fucking drumstick. And he's like, aha, like Popeye ate his spinach. And it's like, okay, like that works, you know, for One Piece. It's comedy. It's like silly, you know, to a certain yeah. extent. You, you, you can suspend, you know, disbelief for that healing system in like one piece and that's like fine and i was trying to like kind of like tie it back to here about how like you're still suspending disbelief but there's more of an explanation for it than something mm. like that over in one piece but no this is a very real world thing actually at i the see end where of the you're day. coming from so there's not a whole lot of suspension seemed, it yeah. seemed normal because yeah, i was like yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I've, I've seen it before like yeah. one of my buddies had cancer totally beat it and like yeah. they were just like you you kind of caught it late like yeah we'll, we'll see we'll see how you do and he's like whatever and then he yeah. literally won the lottery Oh, he literally man. won the lottery, broke even from like all his medical treatments, and he's like, "Well, I'm back where I started." Yeah, and he's like, "Well, that's life," and it just kept going. And I'm like, "You fucking optimistic <laughs> piece of shit! I love you." Yes. <laughs> 
But that's just so cool um, that that's where we're at in like Ayashimon right now. You know what I mean? It's just like we had mm-hmm. so many ideas about how this story could progress and all the different like routes and avenues that we could take. We might not be able to guess like every, you know, major narrative plot point, you know, or whatever. I hope not anyway. <laughs> you know what that. I mean? Right. But when it comes to what we think is good storytelling structure, Ayashimon has at least for us been delivering on all of the things that we think it needs right on time. You know what I mean? So I'm very happy with where Ayashimon is at right now for that. Mm. I the part that I kind of got a big kick out of it um was page 17 where just like so you say the young man who saved your son emerged unscathed and then ran away yes he was so nondescript I can't I can't remember his face yeah and I was thinking about that too and I saw that line I was like damn is Maru really just like a regular degular like looking person is that what he's supposed to be because I just like immediately attached myself to his design and it's like burnt into my head and I think he has a very recognizable you know and and charming design like personally but like in this world that he occupies he probably does just look like a regular person <laughs> just looks like a kid with band-aids on his face yeah and that's about it. And yeah like, which kind of kind of tracks where he's just like everyone underestimates him he just looks kind of plain like he's trying to be flashy with like right. the you know the hawaiian shirts and yeah. eventually he'll get to that point where he's you know like fl- like fully dripped like out yeah, yeah you know because like we saw dopo's early years he wasn't looking much you know yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. if anyone was playing it was that dude right he definitely um, leveled up <laughs> And kind of touching on Dopo, uh, he's a Hattori Ma, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, he is, uh, what's it is? They are somewhere in, like, Ishikawa Prefecture, kind of, like, hangs out. Their um, environment is normally, like, around hot springs, mm. and they eat flames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're portrayed as, like, having slender bodies, like, like, slender legs, and then they are, like, just this, like, full of smoke and wisp. And like maybe like flickering flame for eyes, and they um, absorb like snuff fires as you get closer. So like if you have a lantern, you're wandering around in the mountains or something like that. If your flame gets smaller and smaller, that's the sign that they're near. Mm, and yo, that's tight. I had a really hard time looking it up. Like every time oh. I looked up Hatorima, half of it would be go to like. Giga Giga Taigo or something like that. You know, it was like Yokai Watch, like a kids show. Oh yeah. And I was just like and I and it reminded me of like the bombs from Final Fantasy, just like this flame thing that like healed when you burned them. Sure. And I'm like, is that is that a reference? Maybe. Is that a reference in Final Fantasy? I don't know. Yeah. But then I found like found out like a little article about it, and they're like, yeah, this is like a really, really minor yokai, very obscure, and I'm like Ha, that tracks. Dopo's just a nobody. <laughs> yes. Yo. And I was like, I love that. <laughs> I was like, this is actually kind of funny. This makes my frustration completely worth it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. I love that we... That. Yeah, I love that we're, that we're, you know, finally just getting the breakdown on, you know, Dopo and what he is and what his, like, yokai is and, and, and all of those things. Because it's like, that's another thing that felt, like, right on time for me, too. It's like you introduce... The villain you you make sure that their you know presence is felt before all else in their design and the things that they accomplish immediately you know like into their into their characterization he came in 
smoking bro came in on fire you know with the torture and just like the really gangster mob boss demeanor and attitude you know what i mean and then you finally get the fight with them and that's clenchy because it's like oh shit okay we built up this big bad dude pretty well so far and now maruo is encountering them long before they're ready maruo tries to fight him can't do anything and then he kind of just goes back into you know the background to do like his dealings or whatever and continue being a character and continue making his moves but we still don't have like the expository breakdown of who he is and how he operates and Kakuyuji, you know, has been kind of slowly drip feeding that through pictures of him in flashbacks with Kyo looking way dorkier than he does now. So that makes you wonder, how did he go from that to this? And then you see the rivalry and like kind of um, bitterness that Katone has, you know, for Dopo, especially that hits a lot harder once we get the Kyo flashback, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. then now that this much storytelling has been devoted to Dopo without actually giving us his exposition, He's had that enigmatic big bad in the background flair. And now right on time, boom, let's start saying everything we know about Dopo. You know what I mean? Like let's 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 shatter the veil and and show you who this guy really is. Now that like peak interest in the enigmacy is kind of where it's at. So like on a pacing level, this is is a really good way to handle a significant villain in your story. You definitely don't just want to be like, here's the villain. Oh, kill everyone hero beats them by the end of that stretch of storytelling you know what i mean like you want to oh, yeah. you want to drip feed it so that you know the payoffs are cathartic you know what i mean i i'm really happy that like i'm really surprised i've never heard of a torima like when i was doing my research it didn't really like really pop up very much um and i was like man maybe he's a yuki ona I like that I'm wrong. I like the fact that, like, I was surprised. I wasn't able to just call it right off the gate, right out the gate from, yeah. like, a small clue. Yeah. And, like, I like that they took this minor thing that was the fire-eating yokai and, like, thinking about how that functions and how they could make that more interesting and then using that as a red herring by creating all that ice and stuff. Yes. Like, oh, yeah, I'm the fire-eater. Let's take it one step further. I eat heat. Yes. And by doing so, I can cause... And he was talking about how molecules, rup, like cells, rupture after yeah. like water freezes in them. Yeah. I'm thinking about how he's been just eating the heat within the air to cause right. molecules to clench up and crystallize into ice. Right. And I'm like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> It was there the entire time. <laughs> right. Now, now, and this is like broken, you know, to me as like, you know, an X-Men fan, because you have Bobby Drake, who, you know, is Iceman. And in his original characterization, he was just like a dude who could throw snowballs at you. And then over, <laughs> yeah. over time, you know what I mean? He, be, he actually becomes more ice than snow until eventually you get a situation where a telepath looks into his mind and goes, oh my God, your full potential is way crazier than what you realize it is. You're actually just controlling the rate at which molecules vibrate. Like you're not just throwing snowballs at people. You're actually you're like a force of nature entirely with this ability, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you go over here and do Ayashimon and you have this guy who steals heat and that's his power. And that's really cool. But he is also talking about molecule vibration. And like molecule, mm -hmm. just, just like he just has an understanding of that stuff personally. So it's like, 
how broken can he possibly be if he is self-aware of how his ability works on a molecular level? <laughs> you oh, know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's fucked up to think about. <laughs> it, it, part of me wants to see him do a fight where, like, it's a big metal box, like a corridor. Yeah. And it's metal plates on the floor. And there's heat applied to the floor. So he forces Maruo to run through like a skillet of a hallway. And then he steals the heat from it and like turns the whole thing to like icy stuff. So he gets an infusion of heat, turns everything icy, and then fights Maruo on a place with like poor footing after oh, like burning man. the shit out of his feet. Yeah. I want to see something like that. It'd be tight. There's be a lot of really crazy applications that Dopo can be given. You know what I mean? Because it's like his ability is just like that. Like once you consider it on like that conceptual of a level, you can fill in gaps crazy mm -hmm. from like in between the surface level explanation and the deepest explanation possible. So like I'm really excited about that. I, I want to see that. Um, there's this moment, like, when they're doing the training stuff and he's trying to get the chestnuts and they pop and, like, crack and, like, mm -hmm. bap him in the face. It made me think of, like, Yuji's training situation with, like, the corpse puppet. Mm, and watching the movies. Just, just get, it's like, I was like, yeah, there's <laughs> my slapstick. Yes. 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 Get dunked on, Maru. <laughs> but it serves multiple purposes, and that's, like, the best thing, you know what I mean? I feel like manga does this kind of thing so well, where it can give you slapstick-style comedy like that, while also being very informative for the reader as far as world-building goes, and also character-building for the character in question that's going through the training at the same time. So all when scenes serve multiple purposes like that, you know what I mean? Like, those are those are the, the cream of the crop scenes. You know what I mean? The more purposes a scene serves, the better, obviously. So it's like whenever you... they they Japan just has such a charming way of wrapping up all of these purposes in such a, you know, unique aesthetic wrapping. You know what I mean? That it's just like, mm -hmm. man, I fucking love this medium. Because it's like, it has so much style. You know what I mean? For for And especially because they came into the situation a little bit later than... You know america did you know what i mean at least in the in the in the more modern sense that we have now you know what i mean oh, so yeah, it's and like, like the history of comics and yeah like the yeah right so you're coming from something that already has so much you know established in its foundation and like creating such a unique you know vibe for your oh, entire yeah. area of the medium it's just like i can't I just be gushing always, all the time to myself yeah <laughs> i also think that like um if you go into like Japanese classical art where you see like, um, you know, they had the 2D, like the, the flat silhouettes of samurais, you know, fighting like the giant skeleton. You see like paintings and stuff of like that. So I feel like there was so much of like a rich visual tradition in Japanese art that translated really well to comics. Yes. And then Japanese art itself always tended to combine words with pictures already mm. so like like calligraphy right calligraphy being both visual and literate art so like mm. i feel like for them they had like so many strong foundations that comics just made sense and that's why they um don't really undervalue mm -hmm. comics as a medium right like like in the west 
people still like are like, oh yeah, you know, comics are for kids. Yeah. And I'm like, I wouldn't recommend most of these stories <laughs> for kids. Right. They'll right. make you cry or give you trauma or yeah. something. Like yeah. be be grown and like be grown and like read comics and like but yeah. like read comics that are appropriate to you, right? Like yeah. but like to your point about yeah. how it doesn't matter as much in America on the comic book side of things as it does in Japan, that makes a lot of sense because for the longest time, comic books were Japan's only source of media. Like coming out of like you know the war in World War Two and shit, mm-hmm. they didn't really have the best economic infrastructure or like any economic infrastructure at all. Really, you know what I mean? Because they're they coming. Had to from scratch. Yeah, they like, had to rebuild from scratch. Yeah, so like the the only the only kind of media that they could afford to produce was comic books, and not just comic books, black and white comic books, because mm-hmm. they couldn't even afford color. You know what I mean? So, like that's why it's that's why it's it's always going to comic books are always going to matter so much more to Japanese people than American people because it's so it's coming from a place of. This is all we had at one point from a very traumatic point in their history. Cultural regrowth. Yeah, cultural regrowth and trauma, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's just, I loved loved the burning building scene, to be honest. Yeah. Like, Ozunu was right. He's like, yeah, it's better to fast to dump him in like a real fight with an opponent, sink or swim. And he's just like, I liked that this is. a fight that has no real target, right? Like he's right. fighting the environment. Yeah. And I'm like, PVE. you know what? Yeah, he's doing PVE. <laughs> and I really appreciated that. I was like, you know what? That that makes sense. Yeah. You know, Dopo is a supernatural flame. You're going to beat up an actual apartment fire. And I'm like, I like this. It was, yeah. like this this whole chapter is very satisfying in that sense. Oh yeah. Yeah, Ashimon is um is firing on all cylinders. I can't um I think we've already I think I've already like multiple times in this review stated everything that it's it, that it's doing correctly for me, but just for the record, I love the cast. I love the pacing. The world is being built brilliantly around the cast work and overarching narrative progression. You know what I mean? Everything just feels like it falls into place inside of Ayashimon and that there's a very clear plan and structure for it. And that just makes you feel good. You know what I mean? And the way that the plot progresses in the ways that we've been talking about the entire review about how concepts and explanations and things come right on time, all of those things just... I I can't cross my fingers tight enough for the success of Ayashimon. But, uh... Yeah, yeah, man. Do you have anything else for Ayashimon this week? Honestly, no. Um, yeah. This has been a very thorough one, just because of all the new like terms. And yeah, stuff this one was chunky. Like, the breakdowns of uh, stuff. Yeah, oh yeah. Good shit, though, man. I'm, I'm, I'm happy yeah. with it. I'm happy with it. That Me will too. do it for this chapter of Ayashima. All right, moving into Sakamoto Days, chapter sixty-six, lag. I fucking love this chapter, man. I really enjoyed, like, all the different perspectives yeah. that came with this one. Like, I know I've mentioned it a couple times where, like, the fights are all 3D and they focus on, like, different angles and stuff. Yeah, very but, 3D. Like, this chapter did great. Like, mm-hmm. there was this one moment with uh, Toromaru standing on her weapon, like, her 
axe bayonet just yeah. wedged into stone, just yeah. staring at Shin at the bottom of this river. And she's like, hmm. Yeah. Just like, I love that part where, like, because, like, that little perspective of her just, like, looking down on him yeah. while talking shit. Right. And I'm just like, that, that works. This yeah. works. That's, that's a nice combo. The fighting styles are, like, so gas in, in Sakamoto days, and they're so well represented, you know, even outside of, like, very high octane, high tension action sequences, because obviously when they're throwing kicks and throwing punches and using weapons, it's like those are the most obvious examples of these characters and their fighting styles and their personalities in combat. But just this one panel right here of Torimaru standing on the axe, you know, or standing on the gun with the axe head, like, stabbed in the side of the cliff face and shit. Mm -hmm. Like, to just, like, you know, overlook, like, the, the battlefield and shit with her hands behind her back. And, like, mm -hmm. it's just, like, man, like, yeah, like, that's that's what I'm talking about right there. Like, I love shit like that. You know what I mean? So, Sakamoto Days is, is really good for that. I love this dynamic between um, Torimaru and Shin, too, like, inside of this fight. Because it's, like, it's a, it's a really interesting kind of like character spotlight you know in between the action right because you have Torimaru who represents a fan of the Sakamoto that people see on the surface through myth and legend and whatever small rare you know occurrences they have where they've mm -hmm. actually seen him in the field and then you have Shin who represents a fan of the actual Sakamoto or at least where Sakamoto is in his life right now you know what I mean it's so it's the contrast between private and public admiration. Right, exactly. And I just, like, I love that because it's like, huh, Sakamoto, this is the deal with parasocial relationships and, yeah. like, celebrity, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. Like, ah, yeah exactly. Right. And, and even though Shin knows Sakamoto in a way that this girl couldn't possibly, you know what I mean? Like, he was still able to communicate that to her in a way that she was able to understand despite not knowing the real Sakamoto. And so when that scene comes, you know, towards the end of the chapter, when he saves her and she's like, why the fuck did you do that? And he's like, Sakamoto would have done that. It's like, does she know that? Like, is that, no. does that fit in with her understanding of Sakamoto currently? Probably not, but she still got the message. Like she still felt like he was, telling the truth you know what i mean like he still mm -hmm. properly communicated his admiration for sakamoto in a way that she was able to absorb and respect even though she has an entirely different outlook on who this person even is you know what i mean so it was just really cool character moments for shin for sure but also this brand new torimaru character who's had a very interesting arc in the very small amount of time that she's that she's been in the story Mm -hmm. So I like I love no, how I, that's communicated I, in this chapter. Yeah, I really like it. I the part where like um page fourteen where you can see like the echo of Sakamoto, and it's like he's still bigger than Shin, you know, yeah. large, that kind of larger than life presence. But it's like okay, yeah, you know, you're not quite filling up the silhouette, but you're looking in the right direction, you know. And it's yeah. like hey, you know, youngin, you're you're, you're like. Shin was talking, like, at the beginning of, like, previous few chapters, like, hey, Mr. Sakamoto, like, I admire you, but, like, we're enemies. I need to prove myself. Yes. And I'm like, you're doing great. You're doing great, kid. <laughs> yeah. Love that for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
I really liked this moment with Shin on page eight, where he's like, uh, I need to figure out another way to win. What can I do? And his like telepathy senses the fish. Yes. And then that snaps him into like, oh, I could just use the water. Fuck, why yeah. did I think that? And I'm like so mad that I didn't fucking notice these fish until like you said, I love this scene on page eight. And then you saying that and me going to the page at the same time for some reason made me made me realize the screen tone fish in the 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 second to last panel on page eight that i just completely went over my head before and then they even use it again (coughs) excuse me they even use it again on the bottom uh you know panel of of page 10 and i didn't notice it there either oh yeah and i'm like so angry that i didn't notice these i didn't Oh, I you... must have been speed reading. Oh. I didn't notice that on 10. I just noticed it the on page 8, and that's oh. what I remembered when yeah. I went through it the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's actually really cool, because this means that he's progressed, and that right. he can not only listen to human voices, yes. but living creature voices. Yes. So now he can hear all voices, but... That means he could also eventually communicate with that one sniper's bird. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, fuck yeah. That'll be cool, man, if, that's, if, they, but, if they lean into that. But, like, I think that this is, this is the sign of an upgrade, right? Yeah, like for, yeah, for sure. It's just like, and I'm just like, I wonder where you can go with that. Because, like, there's, in, like, Spy X Family, you have, you know the the dog and the little telepath girl mm-hmm. and they're sharing thoughts and like communicating mm-hmm. a little bit i'm like that's funny i like yeah. that that's yeah. pretty solid yeah uh, so i want to see what shin can do with that kind of stuff I and i, I like how cool. the growth is is represented too because he's been talking for a while now about like what would sakamoto do but it's like man i can't always like sakamoto's not always going to be here you know to like hold me down he, i think he said this like multiple times now during mm-hmm. his own little personal you know, journeys inside the arcs, even though Sakamoto is there somewhere in the background. I think since they started this exam, even on the plane, when they were doing like the Mm -hmm. battle Royale on the plane, he's like, Sakamoto is here, but like, I need to progress personally. I can't just lean on Sakamoto, boom, bap. And I'm sitting here going, okay, well, how are, how is, how is that going to form inside of Shin? Like, like that realization is cool, but how are you going to put it into practice? And him having a very cerebral ability inside of his clairvoyance it makes sense that his progress would be shown in the form of his mentality upgrading, right? Because it is mm-hmm. a very mental power. So if he gets into a more mature headspace, he'll unlock deeper aspects of this power. And unlocking deeper aspects of this power gives him the facilities that he needs to operate separate from Sakamoto. So it all just feels so good inside yeah. of his progression because it's like I fight with Sakamoto, I get whooped because Sakamoto is better, Sakamoto's fine over there, I'm his little guy, so I can do certain things, but when it comes down to it, I need Sakamoto to save me for the real the really oppressive physical walls that I might run into. And that felt good for a while. And now we're at this point now where it's like we all got to get tighter on our own because these motherfuckers are cooking over here and they're way tighter than us slur and 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 his homeboy you know or whatever that we see at the end of the chapter i always forget his name but it's like those guys 
are 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 building something very serious and they are well above the capability of shin and and sakamoto so it's like how are we going to upgrade ourselves so that we're ready for that coming confrontation and shin separating himself from sakamoto and going no i need to be able to do things entirely on my own so that i can fight better with sakamoto instead of potentially being a liability because i'm not capable enough in the upcoming conflicts so all of that makes sense but it's like physically what kind of training you know would there be and is that really the route that you want to take with shin who has such a strong superpower that is rather nerfed compared to other telepaths that we get in Mm -hmm. in other areas of fiction so it's like no this was always going to be a, a more cerebral growth you know for shin than anything else and the way that he ties it into his reliance on sakamoto as a way to push past that mental limiter to unlock deeper areas of his telepathy is really hitting hard for me right now in this chapter yeah he he says it himself in this chapter i have to win this in my own way i can't even pretend that i'm gonna do it like mr sakamoto we simply have different abilities um the part that i think is like this arc has been great for shin i love that for Shin. Like, yeah. I think this next opponent is going to be a huge barrier against Shin because this is a remote controlled bad guy. Like, yeah. how are you going to mind read and dodge a guy who isn't in control of his own body? Right. Maybe he could find out that very truth by reading his mind and go, yeah, this guy's here, but that's not who's controlling this body. And maybe. You know, it depends on like what kind of, you know, how this technology works, this VR technology works that they have, you know what I mean? But Shin could potentially figure out this, what's going on, you know, with his telepathy and whether or not he'll actually be able to then by extension, you know, read the thoughts of, of, uh, God, what is his name? Shania? The the dude in the the VR gear that like rolls with slur? Gaku, oh my god, yeah, it's so you, simple too. It's only you, two fucking syllables. Okay, yeah, but like I, I definitely had to look that up again because I was like, yeah. I, I, I'm actually really bad at names. Yeah, Gaku, <laughs> Gaku. Okay, so what I'm saying is, is that like it's either going to be a situation where Shin will try to read the mind of this assailant and go, he's not the person driving this car. And maybe that's the extent of it, and maybe that's all the information that he needs in order to get himself and 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 Tori Mario out of the situation. Or it could go a step further and go, okay, he's not the one driving this car. It's Gaku, and maybe he doesn't recognize, you know, Gaku or whatever. But maybe he's then just able to, by extension, read the mind of Gaku in his puppeteering of this vessel, and that could be you know really major too i feel like it could go either way or maybe even you get one after the other maybe he realizes you know the thing and then has a strategy for that and then goes yeah yeah i think the lag is going to come into come into play where he's like oh this guy is really strong and i can't get a good read on him because he my telepathy is not functioning on the person that is actually making decisions yeah it's like but he can at least have a little bit of lag. They mentioned a little bit of lag. So there's always going to be like a little delay in between moves. Oh, sure, or sure. Or at least delay between combos. Yeah. And he's going to have to take that advantage. He's going to look for that opportunity 
to and maybe have to work with Toromaru yeah. or Kaji yeah. um, to take down like autopilot Shania. Yeah. So I guess I guess what I'm saying is is that like maybe there mm -hmm. is potentially some like mental overlap inside of how Gaku and his technology controls this body mm. and how Shin reads minds. So oh, maybe, yeah. It's like a mechanical overlay or like static. It just all depends on like what the explanation for this technology even is. Because if, if Gaku is essentially replacing the consciousness of this person so that he can control him, then maybe Shin reading the mind of this guy is the same thing as reading the mind of Gaku, depending oh. on depending on how you know the technology for the control is explained. I guess is like yeah, the, or like where I'm going. He's like yeah, like he might be like picking up like multiple voices. Yeah, in that kind of sense, and he's like, oh wait, and then like one's really tinny. But that seems to be the one, and really faint and very yeah. tinny. Yeah. But that's the one that seems to be driving. Right. Um, and so he suddenly starts picking up on that. Or I think he is going to have to, um, because like, I think what's going to happen is he's going to panic. He's going to struggle with this opponent because he can't get a good proper read on them. Yeah. And what's going to happen, because they introduced Kaji already. And they say that Kaji is extremely shy. Mm. Oh yeah, so this he dude. Speak. So he doesn't speak. Yeah. So Shin's way of up using his telepathy against an opponent that he can't read is that he's going to read his allies' thoughts and be able to work as a teammate to overcome an opponent that he can't read. And I think that's important too because he's talking about how because he beats Toromaru in the sense that, like, I need to be able to stand on my own. And then his other goal is, I want to be able to fight alongside Sakamoto. So Kaji is going to be that test for him to mm. be able to work with someone using his telepathy in tandem with yeah. someone else. Yeah, hell yeah. I feel like that's the direction where this, is, this next ch following chapter is going to go because of what I've seen so far. I like that. Yeah, I really like that. And this Kaji dude is, like, funny. Because it's, like, when I... I, I guess I had forgot... I don't know if how much we've seen him before this chapter. But I, like, turned the page and was like, wait a minute, who the fuck is this guy? And, like, before I really, you know, had an understanding of what these dialogue bubbles were really saying and realized that this was, like, a comedic scene, I guess I had, like, just gone into the scene thinking that this dude was like scouting the situation out like waiting for his moment like thinking about what he's going to do and then i find out like no oh my god this is just a joke about how shy he is and then he immediately goes like all right maybe i'll just rub this guy's back and he's like yo could you not fucking touch me and he's like oh and it was funny but i'm like now he's now he's got even more of a reason to be shy he like stepped outside of his comfort zone to be a pal and the dude said fuck off and now he's just like oh and i just thought that was so funny <laughs> uh, that part made me cackle a little bit. I was like, "Hey!" Yeah. I was like, "Damn!" Uh, poor buddy. Yeah, but that was fun. Oh um, yeah, man. This is just a fun, straightforward chapter. This is a great Shin arc, to be honest. Yeah, dude. I'm like really loving the Shin focus that we're getting. I hope we get like more Lou focus like later. I hope that she isn't just like entirely relegated to a background character like once the heat starts really rising i mean like they haven't really been going out of their way to establish her at least in my memory 
as like someone who's supposed to be involved in everything Sakamoto and Shin is doing, which is just kind of like would be kind of like sad, like for me, if that was like the case, like permanently. You know what I mean? I, I definitely hope that we 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 spin back around, pick up Lou, and like give you know her some focus and like get her like on the team here because just it's like she's there, so like. I feel like she should be you know what i mean i'm not like the biggest fan of like female leads just like fading into the background you know what i mean yeah 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 right so i hope sakamoto days yeah exactly exactly so i hope sakamoto days does that but like for the shin arc that we're in right now i'm loving it and and if this is the kind of shit that we can get for shin then i feel like this is the kind of focus that like anybody else on like you know the lesser important character side of the cast could get so like i'm i'm hopeful for that um but yeah, I love the chapter, man. The next one's going to be major, bro. Holy shit. Uh, like, I am so excited to see how this VR, like, actually works if we get, like, a real in-depth breakdown on it. It's obviously going back into what I was saying about the potential, you know, continuation of 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 the plot in regard to how Shin interacts with this puppet and, and whether or not he will be able to read the mind of the puppet or maybe notice that there's no mind there and then they're just cooked and they have to, like, fly by the seat of their pans with with no telepathy help at all, or if there is some kind of mental overlap, like I was saying, depending on the explanation of the technology to where Shin can go, oh, if I read this dude's mind, I'm also reading Gaku's mind. Either way could be cool, but I'm just like super excited for it no matter what. I, yeah, I don't know if it's going to be a jumble or if it's going to be a void. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah, like, what? Yeah. what ah! Hell yeah, man. The mystery. Um, I don't really have much else to say about the chapter. I do think it would be interesting because I think that Lu Shateng is going to be like taking care of the shop at the moment. Um, but I also kind of want to see like Toromaru. It would be a fun recurring character, but probably not a main cast member. Just a nice recurring character. She might be I dead. She might be dead. To be fair, because see, like uh, here's the thing, right? It's like it's like the Gaku puppet comes in and just crushes her blindside entirely element of surprise direct hit and he commented on the lag so maybe the lag is the reason why she survives but i don't know why or maybe she just has that you know thick of a constitution and she just survives it because she's tanky but i want to believe that gaku is capable enough to just murder people as effectively as he normally does because he's fucking gaku and we know that he's a cold-blooded murderer very high level assassin so like if he was here in person like, would he have hit this girl in a way to where she didn't die oh, for some reason? Absolutely. No. He'd be like, he fuck no. Through people. Yeah. Like, he doesn't care about, like, hold, pulling his punches. Game. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't care about that kind of thing. If he's, going, if he's going out of his way to make a move on you, he's trying to kill you. So if this I doesn't mean, kill her, yeah. then that's either because this puppet body doesn't have the same facilities as Gaku, which makes sense. But then that makes me wonder, like... Okay, obviously you don't want to be there in person, but then if you're not going to be there in person, then why would you task this dummy body with whatever goal you're trying to accomplish in infiltrating this exam arc, right? Because it's like, if he's not going to be able to have the same output as you, then naturally that's not going to be like as effective, unless he just you know, thinks that this body is enough to do what he's trying to do in this exam arc. Yeah. What, he wasn't expecting Sakamoto and Shin to be here, I guess, maybe. Because it's, like, it's like, you want to be incognito, you want to be under the radar, you don't just want to be popping up everywhere yeah. when, like, people know your face and know that, like, you're on fuck shit. So, like, I get that. And you're just scouting or whatever. But it's just like, man, 
It's like he really was feeling himself that much that he thinks that him just controlling this random person is enough to get him through this whole assassination exam. Like, who is this guy that he's controlling? Is this dude yeah. anyone of note? Yeah, you know, like, What's I don't know. the will behind the body, yeah, right? Or is yeah. this guy a full robot? I have no idea. Ooh. I mean, we've got a guy who's effectively a cyborg, you know, the first immortal guy when they went to Shin's lab, you know. Yeah. So I, there, there's like a question of like, is this a real human being? Um, or is this another cyborg? How much is left of the original human being? Um, I can see why like they would add like the visual thing so that they could like personally see and evaluate as opposed to allowing an agent to like make like a, a weaker agent to make evaluations like oh this person's really strong and like gaku can look through the vr and be like he's strong but like not by our standards sure just your standards you know that kind of yeah. thing and i feel like it's a great way to scout by having literal eyes on the situation yeah and having uh piloting something that has less power but using gaku's technique right so gaku's technique is the barrier it's going to be what's keeping this Shania in the game. But then uh, that person's like, in comparison to Gaku's nerfed strength, right. is going to be kind of what the saving grace of everyone that gets tested. Yeah, okay, okay. Because like Gaku was old, able to hold it up against Takamura, who is like theorized to be like the strongest in the series he was kind of standing up i feel like talking i feel like talking more i had him dead to rights like like oh, super like toasted. low diff he yeah have, he didn't have teammates yeah he been but he squished. was still there ready to stance up with dude so it's like he's got he's got heart at least i don't think he has the yeah i don't think he has the facilities to really go toe to toe with takamura at least not yet but he definitely exactly. was trying to do it you know what i mean he's got, so. he's got, he definitely has some chops and yeah. i feel like that's that's kind of like the filter that they're adding to that yeah like scouting process that's oh, just yeah. my take on it yeah um, like that yeah the last thing that I really had for Sakamoto is just this last double page spread. I really like the art in it. Um, and it, it's it's really the visor, I feel like, that I keep coming back to on, like, what what I really love about this spread. Because, like, Sakamoto Day's art style, the line work is very, um, you know, sketchy. And there's, like, broken lines everywhere. It's reminiscent of, like, Akutami Gege's artwork right now. At least on, like, the line work side of things, obviously you know, anatomy and, and, and proportions are a lot different from, from Sakamoto to, to Jujutsu Kaisen a lot of the time, but the line work I feel like is similar enough to make the comparison. So getting this reflection on the visor, like in such detail, like this is so much more reflection, like than I would expect from such a scratchy, you know, style of art. You know what I mean? Like you usually only see this level of detail in like reflections in like, I mean, I don't want to say photorealism or anything like that, but it does feel like almost like, you know, it's dipping a pinky toe into photorealism for this visor reflection effect in, you know, on top of an art style that is, you know, relatively scratchy and messy. You know what I mean? So that was just a cool contrast to kind of like get in, in this spread. I really enjoyed, enjoyed it. Like I yeah. was like, that's, that is a fantastic detail. Like yeah. you don't get stuff. Like, normally you get that, like, level of detail in, like, more... 
detail intensive series. Yeah, like a or, Boichi series or something. Yeah, like a Boichi <laughs> or like a Kentaro Miura kind of series or yeah. like um or like cover spreads. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. something that's dedicated to a cover spread. You yeah. see kind of stuff like that. But this one was like, oh, that is like a like elegant. Like Yeah. And if it was there, I might not have noticed, but the fact that it is there is mm. just like, wow, that it's going the distance, right? Yeah. It's the small details going a long way. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, I love that. Did you have anything else for Sakamoto this week? No, I'm just hyped for the next fight. Like, yes. back to back. Good luck, Shin. Yeah, dude. Same. But all right. I think that'll do it for Sakamoto Days, Chapter 66. All right. Moving into Mission Yozakura Family, Chapter 125. Mission 125. I won't let you go. I love this color page. Ah, uh, yeah. I always forget that Tayo's a redhead. I do, too. I, I forget that I shit know we've time. discussed this a couple times, but yeah. it's always like, wait a second. Yeah, like, hey. Yeah, because like, his hair is just stark black, you know what I mean, in the, yeah. in the manga. So it's like, man, it's like usually, I want to say, and maybe I'm entirely wrong on this, but I want to say like usually if your hair is a different color, like a red especially, it's, it's not usually represented as stark black. Yeah, it's usually represented as gray. Yeah, like a, some kind of shade of gray, but whatever. I love this yeah, cover. I yeah, I like how um, there's such a like a diversity in Hitsuji Gondaira's color pages. I want to say like it's not always just like one kind of style. You know what I mean? Like he's got a lot of range inside of these color pages, and I like this one specifically because it's like it feels watercolor in the background, but then also oh. feels like kind of colored pencilish. Some yeah. of the, in some of the areas too i wanted to break down sort of like the symbolism inside that because i was reading i was listening to um a discussion about um studio ghibli movies yeah. and the concept of like there's always a scene where they're passing through a tunnel or a pathway or a hallway and it's often a symbolism symbol of like translating from death to life you know, that kind of thing. Mm -mm, like, mm. they're talking how, like, Ponyo is a story of tragedy, and it's creepy because they go through a tunnel, but they never come back. Mm. So they were like, is the meaning of the movie that they die? Whereas, like, Spirited Away, sh she goes on the train to the afterlife, meets things, and then comes back to the la land of the living, effectively. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, like, I was thinking, uh, for, like, this is a critical moment we think that, you know, um, the eldest brother's dying to this poison. So, like, the, this this alleyway acting as sort of like a hallway, you know, Koichiro is, like, you know, going towards the light, uh, so to speak. You know, it's like, mm. is this a sign that he's going to die or he's at the cusp of dying or he's on the, the, the path towards death? And that oh, this is shit. their, you know, vain, like, not vain, but, like, dire struggles to, like, keep him from, like, following through. Right, because it's like oh, you have Kyoichiro okay. deeper down the, the, the hallway than Tayo is, so closer to death, yeah. and Tayo is following him down the hallway to bring him back before, yeah. you know, he fully 
dies <laughs> at the, the end of the hallway. Yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of what I get from this like this alley cover page, and I'm just like, I like that. It's, that's really you know, cool. It's it's, it's 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 very simple. It's very understated, but like I feel like that's kind of the visual what the visual language is telling me. Hell yeah, dude! I I like that a lot. Plus, the color story is is oh. is on fire, bro. I love these the the greens next to these like deep purples and like mm -hmm. crimsons and like these these fuchsias above the greens, like really like like all of there's only like four colors in this whole thing, and they're all used like so well. <laughs> it feels almost kaleidoscopic, like it almost yeah. has like it has a rainbow in in this thing, like um. Like it's got like it's it literally does it has like you know it has violets it yeah. has it does have its indigos and kind of like that soft oh yeah um, no you're like totally right white. this is like the whole it's, rainbow. It's the rainbow yeah you got the yellow into the green you got the blue into the, the purple the the, the crimson like, into the orange all the way up to the fuchsia at the yeah. top and yeah yeah it's the whole shit it's beautiful like and like it's done in sort of that noir style yeah at first and then they just flip it because by not leaving it black and white it's like you had you hit the full spectrum in a really soft palette yeah that's really good hell yeah yeah i love that um but this fight is tough um yeah yeah i wasn't here for the last review um but like the one thing that like just feels iffy to me about this entire situation is like yeah you have this poison in you but like why couldn't you communicate this to the family anyway yeah yeah, um, like I like I understand like if they're trying to say like this is just like a flaw of like Kyoichiro's character to like you know be the one that takes everything onto his shoulders and 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 try to leave his family out of it for their sake like that's all fine and dandy but this is still a very well fleshed out and loving and understanding family that gets each other on a very deep yeah. level so um, like it doesn't make sense that he wouldn't communicate um you know his situation despite the I the idea that he wants to protect them by not telling them. Like, sure, that's yeah. fine, like, only on the surface for me. But, like, the, the more you think about it and the more you, like, you know, consider the family dynamic that's been established so far, it doesn't really make sense that he wouldn't just tell them what's good <laughs> before I mean, before leaving. Go ahead and run and disappear, yeah. but be like, hey, yo. Like, I understand it makes more sense for dram for dramatics and, 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 yeah. and plot progression and whatnot, but it, that just felt a little clunky to me personally. That's fair. That's fair. I honestly think about it as um, Koichiro. He's afraid to die like a normal person, and he doesn't really. He understands it. He's acting as if he admits it, like he's accepted it. But like deep down, you know, nobody wants to die. No one sure. wants to accept that they're gonna die. Right. And so I think that he's literally running away from his family as a form of running away from like this like inevitable death that the uh, the family heads have like laid upon him. Mm. Okay. Like, I I like family, that. The family did it to him and he wants to save the rest of his family. Yeah. And so he's running away from his family right. because he can't run away from what the family heads have infected him with. Oh wow. Um, that's a cool way of putting it and and you want to know what it does feel a lot better when you consider like insecurity and like fear right yeah. because like those will just make you act irrationally exactly like no um, matter what people, like that's very regular and normal and, under, and totally understandable so yeah i feel like in the west people always talk about like oh let's be rational here let's be rational yeah. people aren't rational people yeah. often vote 
the way they emo- feel emotionally or whatever resonates supposedly with them. Right. Um, people, you know, find partner, choose partners, not on the like a uh, level of qualities or like actual common ground, but how that person makes you feel. Yeah. You know, and that's the slippery slope that you kind of like have to travel on when you're when you're writing a, a fictional story, right? Because you want to go like as realistic as you can in certain areas to like really tap into that relatability factor. But like realistic doesn't always translate that well into like fiction, fiction. right? Yeah. Because it's like, for example, you know, um, in, in the real world, there are a bunch of people with the same name. You might have multiple people in your immediate friend circle that share names. And let's oh, like, yeah. that's fine in the real world, but you throw a bunch of people in a comic book that have the same name, and that's going to get awkward even though it's realistic. That's just not a good idea to do for your story. So like when you talk about like rationality, like when you're, when you're talking about plotting and scripting and writing a fictional story, you want to make sure that the characters are always doing something rational if they're rational characters, you want to tie that logic back in yeah. a way that doesn't break immersion because it's so ridiculously illogical. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it's like that can't be applied to every single instance of rationality in a fictional story. There are definitely a lot of like subtextual ways you can communicate irrationality in ways that make sense in your fictional story. Even though originally I said, I don't think this makes a whole lot of sense for him to not tell his family, you know what I mean? Like what he's going through. And it felt like a narrative like device by leaving that out of the story. I was like, oh, okay. So Kyochiro, based on my understanding of him, would logic, like, like I feel like Kyochiro would, even though he's in this situation, still tell his family what's going on instead of just being mm-hmm. completely silent and mysterious about it. But when you factor in what he's going through mentally and like, especially the way that you put it with his fear of death and that beautiful analog that you created and that beautiful, like, um, uh, uh, why am I blanking on this word right now? Uh, oh my God. <laughs> Explanation. It was, yeah, like, you, you know what you know what I'm saying? Oh, my yeah, God, I'm, like, so mad done. at myself right now. Like, even though, even though, <laughs> like, yeah, like, 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 once you consider that, um, then, yeah, like, you can, you can make, you know, the irrational decision to not explain your situation to your family feel a lot better. You know what I mean? Like, once you consider things like that. I'm so mad that I just, like, lost my thought on that. Now I feel like a fucking lunatic who makes no fucking sense. But hopefully you guys understand what I mean. Oh, man. This was kind of interesting. I I really liked how the team continues. They did this in the last chapter where they were all using their strengths to help suppress Kiwichiro and buy enough time for Tayo to arrive. Yeah. Um, the part that I really liked was eight nine. Um, when Kengo mimics Shinzo and does his like body doubles, yeah, and just a ton of Shinzos come out with like the the withered spider gas, and then he goes meow, and then it hits the gas, and the cloud has a cat face on it, and I was like, that's that's adorable that's very kango yes and then i like that they did that to um kind of hide shinzo from like repercussion you know what i mean 
to have all those body doubles. Yeah, because, for sure. Uh, Can't find the real one, so his, you know, his HP isn't at stake. Mm-hmm. I thought it was clever. I was like, why? Initially, I was like, why him? And I'm like, well, that makes sense. Of course, there's gonna be like that kind of thing. Yeah. That it's a safety measure, and I yeah. appreciate that. Hell yeah. Inside of the choreography, I was, like, so blown away by just, like, the level of, like, landscape damage and manipulation that, like, Futaba and Kyoichiro, like, both have in their arsenal. It makes a little bit more sense for Kyoichiro, I want to say, to be able to, like, I mean, like, it makes sense for both of them because they're both powerhouses. But I, like, just remember, you know, Futaba's a, a, a power set, you know, um, operating inside of, like wind and like momentum and you know like things like that so she can create these like force waves of like you know kinetic force pressure you know what i mean or whatever and i'm sure that i just like don't have like the proper like understanding of her ability maybe in this in this critique that i'm giving here but i'm sitting here going like utama can do shit like this like raise like whole walls of earth out of the ground i was like that's Mm -hmm. fucking insane not that it doesn't make sense because like all you have to do is just put the put the power output wherever you need it to be to allow this kind of thing but i just like wasn't like ready to see futaba do that and then like later on in the chapter kyoichiro does his steel spider stuff and then just makes like a giant wave of like like rocks and shit and i'm just like bro like where are the strings connected that are that are do it's just like so hard for me to like picture the strings doing this (laughs) you know like i'm like holy fucking shit i wonder about that or like is he because he's having like this poison bloom right is he still like going through like a bloom power upgrade like a spike of power like the idea of like it's killing him but it's also enhancing him and that's why it's killing him. Is it's it's overclocking his mm. abilities, perhaps. I don't know. It's not really stated. It it's not even really implied, but it's right. like, hmm, there's a potential in there. Like I could see that happening. Like yeah. like um I was just I guess I was just waiting for like a Togashi style or like a, a mm. Gege style, like superimposed like narration box, like over the thing explaining like why the power was able to create this effect. Maybe we already have enough in the story to explain this you know what i mean and i just don't remember it or whatever but i just remember being so taken aback by like the amount of like landscape and like environmental influence that yeah. these powers are having collateral right damage yeah like, i was just we're like not holy shit that. yeah um especially because like i think the reason we don't normally see that is because they're assassins and so like for mm. them they try to exert the most amount of pressure with the least amount of force kind of thing sure uh and so, but this is them. Like, just going all out, no filter, no all limits. Out, yeah. No holds barred. Like, this is a family fight feud. This is a family feud. It's supposed to be messy. And so I think that the environmental damage is kind of like a visual indicator of like how volatile this family fight is. Yeah. And how like, you know they're afraid of the family being torn apart and these are people that are willing to move heaven and earth and it's a lot of earth yeah. to like <laughs> this to like keep this shit together um that's kind of what i'm feeling um i expect kind of a explanation next series just because tayo literally just makes contact with koichiro like 
forces his way through yeah. the steel spider net and like that was wrong. grabs onto him. Yeah, that was super 2021. Wrong. I was just like, oh, yeah. oh. Yeah, I was like, um, oh, fuck, what are you doing? But then I'm like going back through the chapter and I'm like, well, nah, because we totally get this flashback of him talking to dude, Kyoichiro's homeboy. Mm -hmm. Or whatever. And he's, yeah, and he's like, that power will save Kyoichiro. Take that profuse blooming with you and face off against him. So I'm assuming that Tayo's very unique style of blooming might just be like mm -hmm. a direct counter to Kyoichiro's style of blooming with this poison. Either that or it's something where, like, they cancel each other out if it's not a direct counter. I and the poison isn't. Yeah, that. yeah. I, I, I want to assume that that's why it's okay that he's just outright grabbing him despite the peril. <laughs> you I know? think... Oh, I think I know what it is. Mm. So, the poison is specific to the family because the heads were there. And the heads are talking about, like, we are the family. We are the most important thing. The Subomi is the most important thing. They're focusing on the family. They're not focusing on, like, but, like, Tayo's different because he married into the family. The poison is not coded for specific Yozakura bloodline. He just happens to have a graft of the Somanin to bloom himself. So he's a whole hybrid of like a different strain of the Yozakura blooming. Right. And so, so then the poison he's might not yeah. coded for him, his coded for his like his bloodline. Yeah. Because he's not related yeah. to the Yozakuras, it's not gonna affect him as bad, and it might be able to balance the whole thing out. I like it's that. Like, um, it's like um like inbreeding, right? Like the poison oh. could be a form of like inbreeding, right? Because like um like uh, a lot of royalty, like the Habsburgs and stuff, they had uh, massive genetic deficiencies because their blood pool, their gene pool was so limited, and they kept rel marrying their relatives and stuff mm. to like maintain monarchy. So I'm taking that idea of like limited gene pool, introducing a new bloom, a new strain into the, like the genetic pool that is the bloom. Mm. It might help balance things and like revitalize and bolster the like constitution of the plants themselves. Mm. Cause like, I really like this. Cause it's like, like hugs. yeah, it's like the, like, especially when you were saying about how the poison is specifically coded for, you know, blood born Yozakura family members and Tayo doesn't fit that description because he was married into the family and then received the power later and the blood later. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So this isn't something that he was... Yeah, I like that. I, I really like yeah. it. He's not coded to be affected by the poison the same way the rest of the family way. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, That's yeah, cool. It's like, it's like pugs, right? Like, yeah. I, I ran into a pug yesterday. His name was... Um, oh, it wasn't Pochita. It was something else. Nochi. Mm. Nochi. A dog named Nochi. That is close and to Pochita. Yeah, and I, I, I asked him, I was like, hey, man, how is the breathing problems on this dog? He's like, oh, no, he's not a full-bred pug. He's, like, a little bit of, like, lab in him. And he's, you know, we, we enlarged his nostrils when he was young. But mm. we really didn't have to do too much because he's not full-bred. And I was like, um, it reminded me of, like, people doing dog breeding and, like, undoing specific dog breeds to like alleviate genetic problems mm. so i feel like this is kind of that kind of vein of thing that's cool that's a cool way to look at it when bro. it comes to like the yozakura blooming strains yeah i think i like um 
you know, and it could obviously just be an entirely different explanation. We'll have to see what Hitsu Gondaira has for us in the in the coming weeks. But I think I like both of these ideas. Either, you know, Tayo's unique style of blooming is a direct counter or at least, you know, a um a double negative kind of effect as mm -hmm. you know, Kyoichiro's very unique style of poison blooming that he has going on right now and they cancel each other out or Tayo's just directly counters it whatever I'm cool with an explanation like that I'm also cool with you know the potential explanation that you gave about just not being coded properly for the poison yeah it's it's tricky um there's this one part that I really thought was interesting um because he was talking about it's like I may want to kill you but I'll never let you die, even if it kills me. And so when he's got uh, Tayo wrapped up, he's saying, he's like, hey, man, these threats defe threads defeated the Yozakura family heads. They'll cut you if you move. Yeah. And he still goes through it. I love that he's like, I know that the, the way these threads are wrapped around me, it won't kill me. It'll right. just hurt like a motherfucker. Yes. So I'm willing to take harm. Yeah to save you because you've done that for me. Yeah. Regardless of how minuscule the harm you actually took in saving me. But saw, like, right, saw right through the bluff though. You know what I mean? He was yeah, like, yeah, you said that, but like, you know that I'm Tayo and that I totally would. I totally mm -hmm. am the kind of person that would still try to move despite that warning. So yeah. just in case you're going to make it not lethal, and I know that I'm you're calling gonna, you. Not, you're not going to keep it tight around my neck, right, you know. Right. You're not going to do that kind of thing. You're right. not. You're going to leave my carotids alone. Yeah, um, and I love the. But I'm I still love the. Gonna, yeah, the yeah, and I love the dialogue on fifteen where he's like, "You're still green, but you seem to have passed the stage of needing me to protect you." Because it's like he's obviously sitting here going, "If you have made it this far in your struggle against me to prevent me from leaving." And we had our little tussle and you're still right here on the cusp of, 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 of reaching me. It's like you have progressed far enough to where I don't have to worry about you anymore. And that makes me feel good as someone who's on his way out the door. Like I, he, Kiyochiro knows he's just about done with all of his living, or at least he thinks so. So this is comforting to him to know that Tayo has come to a point to where he can get this far in a confrontation with Kiyochiro. Because now he's like, I can leave the rest to you type shit and he feels good about that which is like really wholesome and cool in such a dark and shitty situation <laughs> yeah honestly i think that's also a point of like him going through like the stages of grief a little bit mm. where he's like upward hope reconstruction he's right at the point of like acceptance of death mm -hmm. you know because he's like hey you know he his denial phase was basically just running away right right, right. and then I just imagine it's like, hey, you know what? He's he's glad that like, you're still green, but you've done well. I you don't need me anymore. Is he telling himself that it's like, I don't have to worry. I can leave in peace. I don't have to like take care of them. He's trying to like shed his obligations. Yeah, so he feels okay. Yeah, maybe he just feels less bad. You know what yeah, I mean? He's that he has to, to that he has that. to do like what he's doing. He's like, man, it sucks that I'm dying. I love my family. I hate that like they're still potentially in danger, but like they're definitely more in danger with me being around. So at least I'm gonna get out of here, and I have the. I hope my family can survive this. And then now here comes Tayo with all of this ambition and heart and drive and progress. And now he's like, damn, 
at least there's Tayo. At least I at least I can feel a little bit better leaving knowing that Tayo, you know, can hold it down. You know what I mean? Like so that is kind of like how I interpreted it. It's like he's gonna endure in my stead, that yeah, kind of thing. Type shit. Because it's like before it was just like I'm leaving and my family is like flailing in the wind over here. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? But now it's like I'm still leaving, but at least Tayo has the facilities. Yeah. I yeah. love that he's being reached out to, like... I, and it's I really mean, just in like, regard to Mutsumi, obviously, is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. it's, like, it's, it's, it's really just in regard to Mutsumi. Obviously, the rest of the family members are more than capable enough on their own as professionals. But, like, it's really just like, man, Mutsumi's gonna have no one to protect her. I have to leave. Oh, yeah, Tayo. And he's capable enough to do so. I feel great. I feel better about this now. Yeah. 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 Oh man, I wonder. I'm really fascinated. I want to see what happens next chapter with the different strains. And like, is there going to be cross pollination? How mm. are we going to get into like this weird horticulture? Like, I, I want to know. Yes, yes. <sighs> and Gondire is like really good with like the plant based like research and explanations in things and how he incorporates it into not just the power system, but like also other like poetic symbolic things. So I'm sure he's yeah. going to like snap on whatever explanation he gives for this entire situation. So I'm excited for that. And it's been an ongoing theme because, like, even the first villain, the first bad guy that, like, kidnapped Mitsumi was a guy called the Gardener. Mmm. Yo. He had, like, rose he had, like, rose he had, like scissors. Yeah. It's always been there. So, like, yes. I want this horticulture moment to slap. I yeah. want it to happen. It's definitely going to. Holy shit, I forgot all about that. That's fucking yeah. amazing. I'm, yeah. I'm... I'm and salivating for the moment hell yeah uh, same bro but yeah this is this is just a very emotional fight i'm just like oh, yeah, damn, man. This i'm, I'm loving yeah. every moment of it <laughs> yeah. is, there, is there anything else you um, had for yozakura this week i don't think i have anything else to say about this chapter all right great yeah good discussion man great chapter and that'll do it for yozakura family 125 all right moving into my hero academia chapter 350 Bound to a fiery fate. How do we feel? I'm not crying. You're crying. Right? <laughs> this one's heavy, oh, man. Dobby. This one is heavy. Dobby hurts. Um, I wanted to touch on something. It's, it's completely a tangent. But I noticed that um, a lot of the cops in this series are animals. Anthropomorphic, like, yeah. Police, was a dog. There was Sansa the cat man. Now there's a gorilla watching over Ijuko. Yeah. And I was thinking, I was like, you know, it's it's really weird to see um, a reflection, right? Because so like, if like we know that heteromorphs in the world are maligned, they are not treated well. They are there. It's basically quirk racism, um, right? And I thought it was really interesting that in a world where quirks are everything, superheroes are the main law enforcement, and police officers are not the main law enforcement, is full of heteromorphs. And I was just like, that is very interesting. That like oh. the second class of law enforcement is full of second class citizens in the eyes of the public. Yo. So those who don't have great quirks or quirks that are more suited for law enforcement and less about combat or the heteronormative, heteromorphic quirks, they get relegated 
to police work. They even told this like like in like uh, the beginning of the series, Midoriya was told by All Might, "Is like, hey man, kid, give up about your dream. Like, just become a police officer, dude. Like, you can still help. Yeah, still be meaningful. But yeah, like, I'm trying to know, think yeah, of like of too many examples where a heteromorph is really in the spotlight like that. It's really just gang, gang orca, gang orca like, right? That feels about it. <laughs> like, oh damn. And he was like top thirty, and he was near the lower end of that. Yeah, because everybody like you know thinks he's a villain off of his like aesthetic or whatever. Like, I remember that being like a, a thing. I'm like a little racist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, rem- I remember. I remember something like that earlier in the series about them talking about how like oh, I was gang orca, a hero or whatever. They were like, yeah, they definitely said something about that at one point. I never really thought about it like that. I wonder, like, I wonder if that's like really that consistent throughout the. Because I know that we have really, you know, a lot of examples of, um, like you were saying, you know, heteromorphs that are in the police force. Yeah. Now I'm thinking, like, man, what about like the famous heroes? Like, how many of them are not heteromorphs? Like all of them, except for Gang Orca. Uh, Mirko. That's about it. Mirko and hers is like very like yeah. she has those ears those ears are real she's like so the like, <laughs> she's like the equivalent of like white she's passing like white skin yeah she's like a she's like a white passing heteromorph mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah the super yeah. light skinned uh 118th on my mom's side kind yeah. of heteromorph and I'm yeah. just like, oh, that's so rough and like you know, being biracial, it's, like, something that I'm, like, I picked up on, like, yeah. kind of quick, and I was, like, hmm, hmm, yeah. hmm, ironic, ironic, but it's also at the same time, like, Japan's police force functions in a very different way, in more of a civil servant method, as opposed to, like, what we're familiar with in the U.S., Right. so it's, like, I can see that, and I, yeah. I just, like, I was, like, you know, coming from the lens that we're coming from. Um, yeah, nah. Interesting choice. Interesting choice. Yeah, having there being, you know, a very clear abundance of heteromorphs in the police force and a very clear lack of them in the, you know, main hero spotlight is, like, a really cool observation. Yeah. Um, but that's just kind of what I want to touch on before we get to the meat. Yeah. The meat, the grilled meat of the situation. Dabbers. Dabber Todoroki. Okay, so yeah, dude, this this was just so well written. Like this is this is Horikoshi's like one of his biggest bags, man, is mm-hmm. the writing of these tragic characters and just characters in general in in My Hero Academia have always been written pretty well to me or very well. Um, but like Dobby specifically, like it's like man, whenever it's Shigaraki or Dobby that's getting the focus, like the storytelling just gets so deep and so yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like this whole yes. situation where dobby burned himself to death and then uji uh, all for one and ujiko like fixed him up and he was supposed to be like you know a throwaway vessel or you know all for one basically mm-hmm. if he needed a new body but dobby was like fuck that what y'all talking about i need to get back to training with my dad fuck you 
And then they were like, all right, well, whatever. He likes his dad too much, so we fixed him up. He'll die in a month anyway. Just let him go out there and fucking burn people to death until he dies. And then he comes yeah. back, like, to join the League of Villains. Years later. Yeah, and Years it's like, yo, how did you survive? And he's like, because I'm fucking pissed. And it's like, oh, shit. I'm it going to make it everyone's problem. Yeah, and it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in, like, the Ayashimon segment about, like, the mind-body mm -hmm. relationship and... And how, like, you can die of a broken heart and how being in a really good mental space can heal you physically and things like you that. And it's like, yeah, like, straight up, like, this dude is definitely supposed to be dead, but his, like, determination to enact his revenge on Endeavor is literally keeping his body moving. And it's like, okay. What's that joke? Uh, through spite and God, all things are possible. <laughs> hey, man. My favorite oh, man. one is the world be damned doom endures <laughs> like whenever dr doom gets dialogue about like perseverance and like mental fortitude despite oppressive physical resistance it's just like oh yeah inject it <laughs> oh man it's there's i love these chapters because it really confirms what i've been like i've touched on the idea that like hey, have you guys noticed that Dobby's, like, burn areas are spreading? And I'm like, yes, now it's, the it's, it, like, I remembered it when they first introduced him back with, like, the big white coat, you know, when they're just like, here's the villain side, here's the hero side, and I'm like, hey, guys, yes. don't you think he looks a little crispier than normal? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute, where's that white coat? Uh, he burned it off. It, you he can did? See, you can see on page two... At the top, top, top right corner, you can see him, his sleeves and stuff. Oh. The part under his eyes weren't completely connected and charred until now, so he's burning the coat off him. So wait a minute, because I remember, like, didn't... That was before the Paranormal Liberation War that they showed, oh. like, the new leaders of, you know, the League of Villains. Oh. And they had, they had Dobby, he, he, like, ran his own little faction... Twice ran his own faction, Toga, compressed, yes, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, and we got that, like, double spread that, like, showed them with their new drip in their, like, newfound roles. Mm -hmm. And then, like, oh. I don't remember the white coat. Like, I thought I remembered the white coat then, right? That's, like, the first time we saw him in that, is in that spread, wasn't it? I'm and then... Sure. I'm not recalling, like, super accurately. Yeah, visually. me neither. Me um, neither. But you can see, like, parts of the coat on... I was just saying, like, I don't remember the coat from after that panel. Like, I don't, like, legitimately do not remember him wearing a white coat, like, since then. I just remember, <laughs> when, like, all for one, like, snapped his fingers. Everyone putty patrolled showed up. Through <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. he was dressed up, like... Okay, so he had all it. All white okay. coat. And I was like, oh, he's dressed in all white. He's, you know, literally dressed in all white. That's very symbolic of death. He's here to, like, suicide kamikaze this yeah. fight. Yeah. Um, trying to kill Endeavor. And, uh, I mean, based off his dialogue in, like, 1617 and a couple other pages, like, that's, that's accurate. Right. Yeah, I just um, completely forgot about the white coat, I guess. But, yeah. <laughs> you can see remnants of it on. Yeah, for see. sure, for sure. I don't know, like, man, maybe I need to go back to, like, the last chapter or something and see, or a couple chapters ago, and, and just see when the fight started, because I, for the life of me, cannot remember this drip. 
watching his parts of his face begin to peel is horrifying because yeah. like at the beginning of the chapter he still had eyebrows at the end of the chapter his eyebrows have been scorched off and like the skin yeah. has crawled up like he's lost his nose and everything um yeah well that's oh that's disgusting i wonder how that's gonna get animated to be honest that's that's like yeah dude and it's like i used to i used to have high hopes for like my hero academia adaptation like i can't wait to see this and can't wait to see that but it's like man considering the time slot for it and like the history of it censoring things like you know throughout the series like they didn't really censor like too much for like chisaki overhaul but then they go into my villain academia and all of a sudden it gets weird so it's like i don't know mm -hmm. how i feel about like when they eventually are going to adapt this they're this, just uh, like we need to keep arc. it for the kids and i'm like this is this story has lots of child abuse to be honest like and a lot of horrific imagery like why did you want to adapt this in this time slot if you knew that buddy was going to be cooking like this maybe they didn't know who knows i don't fucking know maybe they underestimated the thing and they 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 gave it the one piece treatment they're like oh this is a cute little story slavery genocide <laughs> kingdoms revolution at all costs yeah social you know, injustice kind of... hey but see like i want to assume that you know kohei would let him know like there's got to be like huge conversations that are had from like the point of like we want to adapt your series until here's finished product so you'd assume that these like board meetings or these whatevers would be like kohei being like hey what do y'all think my series is and they'll be like well from what we've seen it's this like all right well about to get a I whole mean, lot fucking darker, sure you know what I mean? So breaking constantly and like breaking bones and fingers and all this stuff. So like, it's never been shy about like the traumatic amount of damage that happened. I mean, I guess that's true too. But I mean, like breaking bones when using a power is like way different than like skin burning and like horrific like Junji Ito like like levels of like horror facial expressions and shit like oh, that bro like yeah i gotta assume that like kohei was like hey man if you think that this is just like a cool little you know shonen superhero story like that's fine or whatever but like it's gonna get dark in this bitch like eventually so like mm -hmm. how are y'all gonna deal with that you sure you want to put me in like a a daytime like kids just got out of school like kind of like time slot you know what i mean like i don't know i i wish that we had more insight into the industry in those kind of ways because like sure. there's so many like documentaries and interviews and whatnot that you get on like the western side of things where everything is like so transparent and like here's the entire process from start to finish here's who we were talking to here's like the chief creative the editor the editor-in-chief the the dude 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 we get all of those people you know in a in a much less opaque light than we do over in the east and i just wish that we could just get a little bit more so that we could connect you know some of these dots a little bit better but yeah. whatever here we are anyway i want to see where they're coming from yeah so for real like, i want to like i want to see the thought process i want to see the decision making i want to see like all of that stuff because it's just I like can only man. comprehend so much through the lens of the culture that i'm raised in right and so like i know that there's always going to be like a cultural disconnect so like you and i we don't see much wrong with the yashimon for them they're like this is glorifying the yakuza we don't want to do that right um so like it's just like yeah. never and know then our 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 view of it is like everyone's a gangster like you you think that the yeah. owners of like 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 corporations aren't effectively gangsters like <laughs> yeah. um, police force in america seems kind of mobbish a lot of the times yeah gang in the states man right um but yeah man this shit's wild the art's crazy i really like this one on 16 where he's like 
fucking stepping through the statue of all might like directly down the triumphant arm He's melting melting through. through it like as he approaches todoroki and it's just like man the the things that you're saying like subtextually are just like so crazy in this chapter well it's it's it i love that moment for like 1617 and the fact that like toya was made and eventually like to made as a replacement he was he failed as a replacement then he was salvaged as a replacement for afo was a discarded as that considered a failure for some other reason and then it's like endeavor wanted to be all might totoro shoto is is what endeavor wanted and what endeavor should have been yeah right right his true successor and then dobby is literally forcefully supplanting the image of all might by melting through him and like taking place of the thing that his father could never beat and so i love like symbolically like and like dobby is like move over all might i'm the final test i'm the one you truly need to beat um because he really just wanted to be seen right and the thing that ties it all together is you know the fact that he wakes up after almost dying to be fixed by ujiko and the rest of these guys as they're trying to coerce him into joining their family and he's like nah dude i gotta get back to the crib like what do you mean i got training to do my family what the fuck my dad's probably looking for me fuck y'all and then he goes to the crib and sees him just oh dobby's gone all right well then we're gonna do the same shit with todoroki like let's try with todoroki then you know what I mean? Yeah, he's like on some next shit, you know what I mean? So he's like, oh, okay, so that's how y'all moving. You know what I mean? All right, I'll be back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that moment right there is like what ties like all this together. And I want to say that one of us, I think it was Kiko, long time ago, when we were talking about, you know, when we first started talking about, along with everyone else, the possibility that Dobby is Toya, you know what I mean? I, I want to say Kiko had a moment where we were talking about like why Dobby hasn't like shown himself since childhood. And I think Kiko said, well, maybe he, maybe he did. Maybe he came back after they thought he was dead and saw that Endeavor didn't give a fuck about him and was just back to training Todoroki. And like literally like this exact scene, like I want, I want to say, yeah, I want to say one of us like, like literally brought up this scene like over a year ago close to two nice. years ago in reviews like either nick or eagle or kick it definitely wasn't me i don't think but um but i want to say that we that we that we totally predicted this scene in this way not on I some like haha we did it but on some like you know hey, like dude this nice. makes sense yeah, yeah yeah i i definitely believe that because like the part the fucked up part is like dobby is emotionally unstable already He's been traumatized by his, like, upbringing from Endeavor. Like, the part that, like, all for one lost his grip on him is said, we failed. He was like, oh, we tried our best to fix you. We failed. But that triggered him into reminding him of, like, all the failures of, like, his dad and him. And we failed. And he's like, no. I can't fail. I must go back. I must succeed. And then he goes back and he's like, oh, you already replaced me. I'm, I'm, I really was a failure. You didn't think about me. And he's 
young, he's traumatized, he's not thinking about it. And Dever thought his son was dead. He yeah. didn't even th- consider the fact that he's alive. He d- like Dobby's not taking the time to think that maybe this guy that said, no, you can't leave, you have to stay here and like work with us and we want to help you so you should work with us. Yeah. May have left a fake body that his family buried and like he just never thought that through. And that's his like villainous mistake, right? That's the stake that turns him into a villain. Yeah, that's his uh Hamartia. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's like that's the day that Toya died and Dobby was born. That's such a hard image like praying before your own shrine the own shrine in yeah. his own family home of like yeah. hey you're dead and he's like oh well i'm dead i'm dead but yeah you know but dobby's got, here now like a revenant i still have unfinished business and i will limp this fucking nerve damaged corpse to its end um yeah wow that's crazy to me i love that that's that's so hardcore Right. Um, and it's strange because, like, he misunderstood so much. Yeah. You know, like, if he had, like, taken a moment to think about it, maybe he could have salvaged something. Right. But at the same time, if he had gotten love or affection or acceptance or, like, the relief that he was still alive, he may not have had the, the force of will to keep living. And he would have unraveled and fallen apart in a month. Yeah, man, that shit is deep, bro. I'm just like, like, you know, you're at a lose-lose situation. And, uh, you know, if you can't win, at least get what you want kind of thing. Right, right. That's where he's at. That's his mentality. And and I think it's interesting that he... uh, he always espoused like different philosophies, and I feel like he never believed any words of that he said. He was like, I want to make Stain's philosophy uh, reality, right? But Stain was like, heroes should be selfless, and those that should aren't selfless should be cold. And I think that he latched onto those who are not selfless should be cold, attached it to Endeavor, I get to kill Endeavor, Stain's ideology is the one for me, mm. even though I'm probably the most selfish member that proclaims Stain's ideology, like, compared to St- Spinner. Spinner's yeah. like, hey, man, Shiggy, are you okay? Are you alright? Whereas Dobby's like, hey, Dobby, don't rush. Jumps right in, ignores everyone, right. only focuses on what he wants. Um, and they're like, that's cool for, like, you know, the chaos and destruction aspect of what we're doing here, but when it's time to, like, team up and, like, form a plan, it's like, we can't count on this motherfucker for shit. He's but, the wild dog. Yeah, he's and, and he's dog. that good at playing that role that it still makes sense to have him on the team, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is something that is, like, very well um, kind of, like, uh, delivered, you know what I mean, in in a story like My Hero Academia. Anything, like, related to Dobby and just, like, the Todoroki plotline in general has been handled, like exceptionally exceptionally well inside of my hero academia for me and like i'm trying to like remember like more like instances of hamartia in you know shonen storytelling because i want to say you know like that's something you know that you see a lot more of in 
you know, bigger, uh, grandiose, epic, like, fantasy tales, you know what I mean? Like, something or like, in, in like, yeah, in, or in, like, seinen stories a lot more, too, like, where you have a, you have a tragic hero where he was doing everything right and then just made one fatal mistake and then that, like, catalyzed the, the downfall of the hero, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, all of that stuff, you see that in seinen a lot, you see that in, like, high fantasy, dark fantasy, you know, like D&D or like Magic the Gathering has a lot of mm -hmm. examples of like, you know, that tons kind of, of stuff in Magic the Gathering. Yeah, yeah, so you know much. what I mean? So it's like, I'm uh, trying to think of times where you like, you really get that in like shonen storytelling. And I don't think you, it really makes a whole lot of sense in shonen storytelling. A lot of the time, you usually have to like relegate it to, you know, an already villainous character like Dobby. And then you just like, you know, hindsight load in you know, the Hamartia in it, in his backstory, but it still works because Dobby was supposed to be a hero. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? Like he was being trained and built up. And if he had a fucking decent parent, you know what I mean? Like he would have been a hero. You know what I yeah. mean? So I mean, AFO, it's 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 like what I was saying about like Shigaraki. I genuinely believe that AFO waited for these kids to be fucked up by the, the dysfunctional dynamics in their families, maybe even, like, worked to create those dysfunctions within the family, like, pressuring family by various means, finances, neighbors, just constant barrage of stuff, um, and then just waiting for the moment to scoop these kids and then further break them mentally and groom them to be his potential vessels and successors like that's yeah. that's kind of what he's doing because like imagine the Todoroki family without having found the body for Toya and mm. then Toya coming back and they'd be like we missed you so much like his mom his brothers his sisters would be like we missed you so much yeah, the fact that but, he knows that they thought he was dead and moved on that quickly is everything in this situation. Because he was ready to go back and be back with his family. If he, he would have if he would have never went back and still had just spent this much time away from them, he could be trying to, you know, um uh reintroduce himself to them in a way different attitude. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, there'd have to be a whole bunch of different storytelling that was told in regard to his character to make that happen, obviously. And that's what we're talking about right now. But, like, the fact that he went back once and saw that is, like, really the moment that yeah, created Dobby. Absolutely. And I don't think he ever came back because he felt like he wasn't strong enough to kill Endeavor. And that's why he never, ever went back. He's like, I don't need my family. The only reason I'm going to go back is to kill my dad. Um, and he just spent all that time trying to get stronger. And he's like, this is the moment. This is the strongest I'll ever be. And soon I will be consumed. I will. And like, he talks uh, like that final spread where he's like telling his brother, he's like, hey, he dehumanizes his dad by calling him that thing over and over. And he's like, when I kill that thing, that'll be the mark I've left on, his, on this world. Like, killing Endeavor is his way of, like, living beyond his, like, half-life yes. of, a, of, a, of a lifespan. And it's also um, his way of communicating to himself, the world he occupies, etc. That, see, like, you can't get away with something like this. 
Like, you don't get to be a hero that's loved by everybody after doing something like this to me. The world needs to know that this is the kind of hero that they're admiring and that they're glorifying and that there's something terribly wrong with that. And the way that they'll learn is by losing that thing in a very humiliating and, and, and truth-exposing uh, way. You know what I mean? Which is obviously the very chaotic, a very chaotic and, and destructive route, which we all know makes sense for where Dobby is in his character arc currently. So oh, it yeah, all just no. feels great. The, like the idea of um, page seven, I should apologize to mom and everyone. And dad still needs to see what I can do. He needs to be seen. He wants to be seen. Um, it's, it's like those, uh, copycat school shooters that uh, like, they want to be famous. They right. want the head, they want all the blame. They want the, the, the headlines and the fame, you know, that kind of thing. And right. that's kind of what Dobby's doing. I want to kill the guy that caused me the most suffering in my life by never acknowledging me. If you won't see me, the whole world's going to see me. In the this way, which is the, the exact opposite of the way you wanted the world to see me originally. Yeah. So fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> it's, the, it's the ultimate fuck you. Plus, like, if you won't look at me, I will force you to look at me as I kill you. Yes. Like, you're going to look at me now kind yes. of thing. Yes. Um, and it's just like, that's hardcore. Yeah. Um, there's this moment that I spotted here after they failed to like convince him page 10 um that building's on fire so that means he burned down that daycare oh shit and uh there was a moment when he was trying hey. to drag down endeavor in the public view when he's like i didn't even notice that first. when he's like i'm toya todoroki and I was abandoned by my father. I was left to die. He abused me. He abused all my siblings in an attempt to perfect a quirk. He did the shady-ass quirk marriage. And he's like, I've killed 30 innocent people. And I think that might be that daycare that he was in. Hey, yo, wait a minute. Where did he say that again? Um, it was the video after Hawks, oh. after the Paranormation Front. He creates this video. And he's like, hey, Hawks killed a guy in cold blood. They do The government does shady shit. Superheroes do shady shit. My dad is the worst. He did quirk marriages. He beat children. He abandoned me. I'm his son, and I have killed 30 innocent people. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? Right. I was like, overall, like... How are you doing it? How do you judge it? What is your morality? Like, how do you judge innocence yeah. when you want to murder and lash out at the world? And part of me is like, oh. this is it. Yo. He woke up in a place. They're like, hey, we're just a bunch of kids. And he's like, I burned down that building to escape and get back to my dad. I didn't care who I hurt on the way to get back to what I wanted. And that is the complete fall of Toya Totoroki. Yo, that was amazing. Because not only did I not, for whatever reason, notice this, like, burning building and, like, connect that dot the way that you just did about how, like, he, he burnt that shit down, like, to escape or whatever. But also, like, that line of dialogue from the video earlier in the Paranormal Liberation Front War arc where he said, I killed 30 innocent people. And, like, yeah, the way that you broke that down 
makes a lot of fucking sense because it's like who is innocent to dobby when he is yeah. mad at the world because yeah. like you want to assume that anybody that he's gone out of his way to kill since becoming dobby and joining the league of villains he probably didn't see as like innocent or whatever he probably had no. his own reason for for killing them but like these kids from when he was still a kid that he had to burn down this joint to escape from he probably like regretted that for a little bit like damn i'm sorry kids but i had to get the fuck up out of there so he could probably see them as innocent but easier than he sees any of the other innocent yeah. people that he's killed since think, rejoining the the team yeah i think the other people that he's killed you know in his attempts to get stronger and pre perfect his flaming fist technique um he probably did the same thing and chose heroes that he viewed as selfish and like basically endeavor substitutes. Yeah. He hunted down flawed heroes in the system and burned them down to the ground. Wow. Um, and so he never viewed them as innocent, but those were the people that he killed to get stronger. So that's just my take on it. Um, no, that was fucking beautiful, fam. Thank you. Yeah, I loved that. That was um, that was incredible. It's it's tragic, man. This 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 chapter hurt. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder I wonder if we're gonna stay on this uh, on this area of the conflict for the next chapter, or if we're going to switch I think, perspectives. I think this is, I think this is time for to the Todoroki family uh, brawl. Yeah, but you know how manga could be. They'll be like, oh yeah, you really want the continuation. Yeah, you want the continuation of this, don't you? Prepping? Yeah. Before I get to the meat of it. Yeah, it's like, nah, we're gonna set this up on this drastic cliffhanger, like, yeah, Todoroki versus Dobby next chapter, and then it's just gonna switch back to like Uraraka versus like Toga or something, which would be totally fine, but I could just see it happening that way. I, I don't know. I feel like it's gonna be this because they need something to occupy the time that mm -hmm. Deku is traveling to mm. Tamura Shigaraki. Yeah. So I think they're going to do that. They're going to flip back to Himiko Toga versus uh, the girls. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, I forgot then, Asui was there, too. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe all for one, one of the two. And then Deku arrives, Shigaraki, final fight, conclusion of the story, epilogue. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm feeling. Um, I like that. But, like, there's only three other fights before the big fight. So, like, yeah. they're going to have to do something. Either that or they're going to bounce to the AFO fight, then loop back to the other thing. I could see them but going I, to the... I could see them going to the to the, uh, to the all-for-one fight after this, because that's where Endeavor's at, at, right? prepping, right? Yeah. Like well, no, because that's where, that's where Endeavor is at, isn't he? He's, like, face-to-face -face with all-for-one. Ah, uh, yeah, and then yeah, so it makes the sense to fighting each other. Yeah, it would make sense to switch to uh, to the all for one perspective coming out of this chapter, especially since Ooh. yeah, yeah, especially yeah. him mocking. Oh, he'd probably love tearing Endeavor apart emotionally by saying, "Hey, you know, your son truly does hate you." Yeah, and I yeah. do too. But I just think it's funny how you have so much power and capability. And yet you continually fuck up. Yo. You know? It's like, I just think it's entertaining yeah. as a person that doesn't fuck up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, he would be like that, guys. Yeah. Like, come on. It's like, don't you want to see how proud of... It's like, don't you want to be proud of your boys? Don't you want to see? And he just has, like, screens. Yeah. Just like, hey, man, here you go. And <laughs> then strike him while he's, you know, grieving. Yeah. Um, that was some Dr. Doom-ass dialogue you just hit, though. Like... <laughs> 
As, as me, someone who doesn't fuck up, I was just like, oh, shit, I heard Victor all over that. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I just I feel like they're going to, like, maybe do the prep to AFO and then bounce back to the brothers fighting after AFO is like, hey, we've set up our we've set up the premise of our fight and I've talked a lot of shit to kind of bring like brothers fighting endeavor back to the boys and have that full circle moment. Then maybe the Himiko Toka stuff, then AFO fight, Deku arrives to save the day. Yeah. Final fight Shigaraki. And I feel like that would be satisfying. I just like those, like there's only so many combinations these things are going to do. Right, but, right, like, right. I think we're, I think, I think I like your, um, your idea of the progress though. I think that that would be a really cool way to get it. Hmm. I'm ready. Oh yeah. This is, this is wild. Oh yeah. Do you have anything else for my hero this week? Um, I don't believe so. There was one moment where, um, No. I think think you're good? Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's it. All right. Well, great conversation, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, dude. Likewise. Yeah, that was deep. That was that was deep. But I think that'll do it for my hero 350. All right, getting into the last segment, East Daily Distance. One Piece chapter 1046, Raizo. Cover, cover, uh, cover story, that's what it's called. German 66, ah, an emotionless excursion, volume 9. Two intruders in Pudding's home, Chocolate Town. I have no idea who these intruders could be. I feel like this is usually where Eagle gives his um, insight into things. You have an idea? Oh, 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 brothers. Oh, oh like, you can yeah. see the little capes and stuff, and, yeah. like, they've been... Because, uh, like, two of them have been in the book, so where are the other ones? Yeah, and I yeah, think yeah. it's the other siblings that are like, where the fuck are our siblings? So, wait, two of them are in the book. Yeah, two of them in the book. So then so one the of them is a brother, and then the other one would have to be, like, Reiju? Sister. Yeah, the sister or something. Okay. Um, and so it's the other two siblings that are just like, where are the others? We need to go get them. So yeah. I think they're just going to invade, and they're like, we don't have the book. It's on its way to the thing. We can't trap him in the book. Fuck. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like that. Hell yeah. Because yeah. I remember That's just, be, I just remember getting to the chapter and being like, ah, oh, shit. I have what? no idea yeah. who these people are, who they could be. I'm not paying attention enough as I should be. Usually that's where Eagle just comes in and goes, boom, boom, boom. This is what I think. And, but no, I think you got it. I, yeah, I think, um, I think you got it. I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So. Yeah, getting into the chapter. What are some of your favorite parts in this chapter? Uh, I mean, I like, I like the, uh, I, I mean, this fight with, uh, this fight with Luffy and Kaido is like so funny and cool. Right, and it's like the, the the way that it starts off, where Luffy's like bouncing around, like while Kaido's just like, oh, this kid, like on the ground, and Luffy's like, hey man, what do you think I should name that last attack, bro? And it's just like, damn, you're really like that is so Luffy, but like that is like if I was Kaido, I'd be like, no fucking way, he's asking yeah. me for help with naming his attacks while I'm like this. panting on my back 
wondering how I got in this position. Like, God damn it, this fucking straw hat kid. It's, I mean, literal kids. It's just yeah. reminded me of times where I'm, like, watching parents just be, like, exhausted by their right. children. Their children are just still running circles around them. Right, And right. I'm just like, yep, that's, that's this fight. Yeah. Fight right here. Yeah. <laughs> I also really liked on uh, the, the four and five spread, the first, uh the first panel where Kaido's like, I'm relieved to hear you still got sass, Straw Hat. Awakening is what happens when your mind and body catch up to your powers. And those are certainly ridiculous powers. Like, I love this line of dialogue, one, because I feel like um, it's been, like, a theme throughout our conversation this week. Like, the mind and body relationship has, like, come up a lot in what we've been talking about in this episode. So that's really cool, too. But also... Yeah, as far as, like, explanations go in One Piece, I feel like for a power system as, like, vague and soft as, you know, Devil Fruits and Hockey, you know, kind of are in One Piece, that mm -hmm. coupled with Oda's um, knack for, you know, delivering exposition in very, um, you know, kind of sneaky, almost, like, yoda mysterious like riddle kind of like poetic like dialogue almost like it's a very quick short dialogue bubble awakening is what happens when your mind and body catch up to your powers that's quick to the point good enough for like me in the moment especially considering like you know the the depth of explanation that we've gotten for power in in one piece so far has been you know rather shallow so like a dialogue bubble like this does a lot for me in my understanding of like how you know powers and abilities work inside of one piece so i'm like grateful for it and it also works great as a piece of dialogue coming from kaido to show his experience as a pirate in the world so i just think it served multiple purposes very well um, oh yeah um i really like the fact that like on four or five they trade blows and like awakened joy boy luffy literally yeah. just his ability permeates all that he surrounds and it's like i like how he has like the puncture like the spikes sticking out of his body when he takes the impacts and I <laughs> the like kundali dragon swarm and it hits him and yeah. he's like like that's like how i like read that dialogue bubble like how am i gonna that yeah like <laughs> But no, I like, yeah, no, and that works too, but I like, when I first read it, I was like imagining that like scene from Family Guy where they're like, hey, you remember that guy who's like really good at sound, like verbal sound effects? And then he like falls down a flight of stairs and he's like, e -uh and I was just like, <laughs> I like pictured that like for the, oh, the voice actor in this scene is just like sent me. <laughs> I just like the weird, like, punches going through Kaido, and he's just like, oh! Yeah. Does it good? Yeah, that's good shit. Um, I love that. And then, I thought the really important part um, in this series, when Raizo does the elephant bath. Oh, yeah, before we get there, though, while we're still on this, like, Kaido, and uh, no, 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 no worries. I just, I just, uh, before we move away, the panel on the bottom of page six, where... 
uh, Kaido sends the demolition gust, and then he fucking pulls his legs up to dodge it. Very Looney Tunes, which is obvious, but also, oh. like, it reminds me of, like, The Mask with Jim Carrey. It reminds me of, like, which is all, like, derivative, you know what I mean? Or of, of, oh, I mean, of, it of reminds that kind of me of anyway. that one scene from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Or Who Framed Roger uh, Rabbit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where the taxi just, like, they hit the old car jack and the wheels yeah. shoot the car up, and yes. it just, like, goes over the bus or something like yes, that yes yes yeah i, lo- like, I yeah. love shit like that. yeah the fact that I it's mean, clearly trying to pay homage to you know tex avery hanna-barbera you know looney tunes like era you know uh animation comedy um we've been seeing it all throughout like popeye the sailor man like we've been mm-hmm. naming all the references that everyone else has been naming but this particular move was just like one that like you know fits so well but just wasn't expected now that i know we're in this like you were in this yeah. you know style of storytelling for this fight like I, w- I was expecting like we saw the popeye shit i was like yep all right great we saw the tom and jerry like i after images like all that stuff is sounding good but like this one i was like oh we got that too okay we got them all <laughs> like, we got all the references now <laughs> the panel directly above that he's got the roadrunner legs yeah like, dashing i know and i'm just like yeah that's pretty well. yeah. i haven't seen this many like comic book references since Yu-Gi-Oh had Toontown with Maximilian Pegasus. Yeah, bro. Toon World. Toon World. Toon World. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. That was such a weird part of Yu-Gi-Oh, but I was like, this is hilarious. Yeah, but exactly. It was weird, but it was hilarious and it stuck. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it was like that is, you know, for most people, the thing that is immediately like rememberable rememberable like yeah like like yeah like people yeah people will remember toon world like before they remember a lot of shit in Yu-Gi-Oh. you know what i mean yeah i think people's like yeah you remember that thing oh yeah the weird toon world thing yeah Yeah, they remember that before exodia you know type shit maybe maybe the series series is ancient compared to like the rest of the other series yeah like I'm really dating myself. Like, I got into that shit when I was, like, 10 or 11. Yeah, it's about there for me, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, dang, (laughs) old times. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, man, um, back to to Ryzo, though. What were you going to say about Ryzo? Oh, um, I really liked the elephant bath in, like, Jimbei just doing the Fishman Jiu-Jitsu Ocean Current shoulder throw. Mm -hmm. And, like... My favorite movie's got... Seeing how he did that, like, I love the transition from page 13 to 14 and, like, zooming out to see how yes. he the entire base. That was a great perspective. Me... I feel like I'm not used to perspectives like this in One Piece for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it's been, I mean, for, like, a better part of a year, it's been very chaotic. And, like, a lot of people have been complaining about the paneling being this or that. And it's, like, chaotic. But I'm like, this is a literal war. I don't know. I feel like war should be chaotic, so I, I just kind of give it a general pass. Yeah. Like, you, if you've been doing a series for so long, you're going to have to, like, visually mix it up. Right. To do different things. And I feel like, you know, when he does arcs at such length for so long at a time, each arc, it's like, I feel like they have, like, kind of specific things they want out of each arc visually. Right. And I feel like this one is like, it wasn't a popular choice, but that was the choice. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And like, after watching like 
the Uro fight, uh, Ishidori fight in like Jujutsu Kaisen, I was like, yes, another grab and tangible thing and yeah, throw it. Yes, <laughs> yes, Maru yeah. will punch fire. Yeah, and it's just such a cool illustration, like effect, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, to draw into the action, whether it's Uro from Jujutsu Kaisen or you know uh jinbei here in one piece like that's just like such a cool thing to look at you know what i mean like conceptually and then also just like how it's represented in the actual illustration is just like so cool <laughs> i love it um because like it's a nice little like like the whole chapter is bookended in like double bookends right so yeah. there's the bookends of the kaido luffy fight and then the next bookends um there's everyone giving in despair to the flames and then the other bookend of that is everyone is saved from the flames and the middle part is just raizo acknowledging zunisha and Jimbei saving the day, and that's like the center slice of that sandwich yeah and i was like you know what like Pacing-wise, within a chapter, fantastic, very simple, but, like, effective. Yes. And I love the dialogue, too, where where Rizzo's like, hey, man, Jimbei, bro, like, I got you. You know what I mean? Like, thanks for believing in me? Holy shit. And he's like, dude, my fucking captain believed in you before me. Why the fuck would I have an issue? And I was just like, damn. I was like, yo, that's like cool points for Jinbei, obviously, loyalty points Jinbei for Jinbei, just like, just like very cool crew moment on behalf of Jinbei, but also just like a really cool thing for Jinbei to say like in a vacuum, just like a cool line of dialogue. Like, Luffy chose you samurai for our alliance, why would I doubt you? Now come on, let's get this money. I was like, okay, Jinbei. Yeah. Dude, Jinbei's like top-notch soldier, right? Yeah. Like, he's the guy that you're like, oh, you follow orders, orders, damn, dude. Yeah. Um, and like, he's very upfront about like, Hey, I follow you. I'm going to, you know, listen to you. Even if I don't think your orders are always the right, like, but like you're making, you're calling the shots. My job is to make that goal a reality. Right. And like, he even like, you know, when he was like, I quit the big mom pirates, he was like, Hey, you know what? You've been cool. I've always followed your orders, but like, I can't follow you anymore. And I have to tell you to your face. Yeah. 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 And I'm like respectable like jimbei's always been like a big respect guy hell yeah um man yeah that's good shit there's parts in that um i love hamlet's kind of reaction to usopp where he's like i want to save kid and kiku and it's also save myself and Hamlet's like hey man you want to include my name too <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like bro is? like who even are you like i completely like, forgot you were a character i know that i'm magically compelled to like be your buddy but yeah. like i didn't get rid of my self-preservation <laughs> yeah <laughs> Let's get the yeah please save me too hell yeah i love the, i love the little character moments i I'm looking at Sanji, and he just looks dilapidated. Yeah. He, um, which is kind of funny, because, like, he uh, he's always trying to, like, you know, get with the ladies, always, like, put his best face forward. And, like, the moment where he's surrounded by women and actually saving them, he looks like absolute dog shit. And I love <laughs> the irony of that. Yeah, wow. Like, page, uh, page, page, page nine. nine. Yeah, he's looking I'm real. I'm like... Yeah. You look like a salaryman on a four-day bender, bro. Like, yeah. You haven't had a vacation day in, like, 
years. <laughs> yeah, Oda Oda really leaned into the Steve Buscemi Reservoir Dogs like aesthetic <laughs> reference, the aesthetic reference for Sanji. Like oh, he no. totally leaned into that no. for this panel. <laughs> that's awful. I love that though. That's funny. Yeah. I can't see it though. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I I didn't I didn't know you didn't know that. That's totally like the aesthetic. Oh, that's, legit. that's legitimately the aesthetic reference for Sanji's design is Steve Buscemi and Reservoir Dogs. Holy shit. Yeah. You never seen that? Uh, bro. I'm about to send it to you right now. It's like a whole right, like please. it's like a whole like just like image of all of the real life references oh, for character like, designs in One Piece. Who's who? Yeah, like who are the physical inspirations for this? Yeah, I'm about to oh, do right, this. Please, please. Yeah, awesome. One Piece character references. Yeah, Hold I on. just thought it was interesting to like yeah. have kind of like those character moments. Like these are who they are. Like you know, um, like Beppo, right? Yeah, He's not, he can't handle heat. He immediately passes out. Um, you know. Brooke and Nico, they're always looking for a next way out. They're they're they yeah. don't really give up. They're trying to keep going. Like um Apu Apu is still, you know, a shit talker and yes. more concerned about saving his own life than actually like understanding the pain of others. Yes. Uh, and then, you know, Usopp being a coward, like, I'm gonna do a thing. Oh, that backfired immediately like my sprinkler plant immediately like took flame and is fucked. Oh, we're fucked. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then even Frankie, he's just like, I don't even know what to do. I'm just going to run around and keep doing my best. Yeah. You know, and like, still talking shit too. He's like, man, I got to get Zoro out of here. Like, like this shit is fucking crazy right now. I got to get this guy to chopper. And they're like, we're all going to burn before that happens. He's like, I'll show you a burn if you keep talking shit. And I'm just like, yeah, Frankie. And he's just crotchety and he's just like, I'm going to keep plugging away. I am a man of action and yeah. very few thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's go. Yeah. Um, peep our, so peep I, our like DM call real quick. I just want you to like pull up this, uh, this, this picture of like the side by side references, just cause like, I just think that that's fun that you haven't seen this yet. So. Oh my God. <laughs> That'd be a cool little like combo <laughs> to have real quick as you like go through the references. Like some of them I don't know you know who um, are, the blind marine i knew yeah that's definitely zatoichi he was a cut like because i love zatoichi i'm yes. like oh that's perfect yes lenny kravitz as like mr five or whatever the like the uh <laughs> the like he like picks his nose and flicks boogers at you and then they blow up or whatever that dude mm. from like fucking little garden i think was the arc yeah. that, that he was in yeah lenny kravitz that's crazy fucking mankind reference for spandom Mick Foley in like the very middle. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Crazy. Yeah. Um, the Al Capone reference is kind of cool. I. Hell yeah. I like the Don Quixote. Like, I recognize the Don Quixote. I think it's funny that, like, apparently Killer is just a Daft Punk reference, and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> dude, oh man. Uh, Whitebeard as Hulk Hogan is so good. Okay, it's really funny because it's just literally like turn that frown upside, upside down. down. <laughs> That's the theme of the series, folks. That's the theme of the series. Freddie Mercury uh, is fucking. Uh, what's that? What's that man's name from from uh, from the Galela uh, company in uh, in Water Seven? God, I can't remember the dude's name in One Piece, but yeah, Freddie Mercury is that guy. That's a banger. <laughs> that one was one where i was like god fucking damn it really and the craziest one to me is that like okay so jim carrey 
is the it's is the reference for, for Bon Clay, right? Mm -hmm. But then he's also like the reference for a Frankie's original design. Oh and, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's shapeshifter. And, but like the crazy part is that Frankie and Bon Clay have the same voice actor in the anime. Oh, that's ironic. Yeah, so it's like. Oh. <laughs> Is that meta? That's so meta. Yeah, like that's like too, too deep, too deep. Oh man, Tim Curry is fucking Ivankov. Yes. Yeah, I remember that. I was like, I could see that the entire time. I was like, yeah. it's like Doctor Frankenfurter. <laughs> Why is this Doctor Frankenfurter? Yeah, I wasn't ready uh, for Stevie Ray Vaughan being ace though like that like when i seen that for the first time that shit shook me to my fucking core because i love stevie ray vaughn and it should have been just so much more obvious to me but it wasn't that's wild yeah i like it though oh yeah um so there's actually more references that i want to like dive into like, oh, so you oh. Have, like the celebrity references yeah i want to like dive into like the mythological references yeah yeah going so... back to the chapter yeah yeah <clears throat> Pardon yeah me. absolutely that was fun though thank you for that <laughs> of course no, yeah, no, really. i love seeing that stuff like because yeah. like you know you and i both talk about how media influences media influences media um in all forms like art isn't stolen it's recycled it's right it is what it is it's a thin um, line though like they're definitely it, like plagiarism is definitely a thing oh, but yeah is definitely a story yeah in a way that is lazy mm -hmm, recycling mm -hmm. in a way that's cheapened yes um, yes but so I've, I've said it a couple times where like Luffy and Kaido are Fujin and Raijin, but it's inversed, right? So Fujin was supposed to be a protector spirit, you know, the kamikaze divine wind, yeah, you know, the wind, wave I was the fans, say. sink the navy that's yeah. coming to invade from Mongolia. Yeah. Kaido is the evil Fujin, whereas Raijin is a demonic uh, son of uh, Izanami. Izanami. And... Oh man, the undead schoolgirl chick. Oh <laughs> shit! The, like she's like an undead, maybe not schoolgirl, but like the undead. God, this is just like me playing Smite coming into uh, play so right Izanami now. So Izanami Izanagi, he's Raijin's their son, and Wait. so he's also considered demonic, right? So oh. um, Raijin, because like like in Japan, they have a saying. It's like you know they tell kids to hide their belly buttons during storms because Raijin will eat it. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. It's very, he's he's that fierce storm god, always you know grimacing yeah. to show his like displeasure, which is the literal opposite of Luffy as Joy Boy, even though they have similar aesthetics. And it's yeah. the reverse. He is a joyful, happy, vibrant storm-like quality. Yeah, and Raijin had a brother, the god of fire, called Kagatsuchi, mm. and Luffy had a brother who was on fire in Port Gusti Ace. Wait a minute. Uh-oh. Okay, mm -hmm. Oda. Okay, Melo. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's cool, though, because if Fujin was normally a, you know, benevolent, you know, Shinto deity, and yeah. Kaido is the representation of that on the evil inverse, and then Raijin historically was evil Shinto deity channeled through Luffy as benevolent lightning wielder is just a tight flip parallel reference. Love that. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's 
that's really great in this sort of super Japan style story. And I'm like, yeah, that's he's been having this planned for a minute. Like, yeah. I feel like what he did was he went backwards at the end, filled up the story. He wanted to get all the beats he wanted to have and then just wrote the story from the beginning, from the character's perspective, hitting all the beats that he wanted to. And that's why it's taken such a long time. Yeah, I love that. Because he's like, I want to explore everything I want to explore in this arc to hit all the beats that I want. <clears throat> yeah, that's real good. Plus, it totally makes sense that Luffy can grab lightning. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that he grabbed lightning in the last page was the part that I was like, huh, Yeah, that makes sense. Plus, the whole, like, Kaido controls clouds and they're able to lift things, and he had that move, that bowling ball blast of, like, the gust of destruction, demolition yeah. gust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, he's got demolition gust. Luffy literally grabs lightning with his hockey coated fist. Yeah. And I'm just like, move over, Enel. Like, bro, dude even looks like Raijin right now, like in this panel. He does. And I was like, this is, this is fantastic. I love that. A lot of the Western audience is going to be like, Luffy's Zeus now. And it's like, nah, it's Raijin. Because, like, Zeus, you know, like, you know, he's known for grabbing lightning and throwing it at you. You know what I mean? So I'm sure a lot of. Um, Fujin uh, was the base for the Greek god of the winds, Boreas. Mm. They share a ton of similarities in the fact that they both have a giant bag full of the many winds they've captured in their travel. Oh, nice. Fart bag. Yeah, big old, big old whoopee cushion. Uh, <laughs> uh, seven wins. Holy shit! Greeks, Japanese, very mature. <laughs> <laughs> but no, nah, dude, I love, I love that, uh, that, that mythology, um, you know, observation, analysis, point out spot. Like I like, like that's just so cool, man. <laughs> yeah, I really dug it. I was like, I need to, I need to like really break that and then when was i was banger. looking it up i found about fukutsuchi and i was like oh shit ah, yeah. oh my god yeah dude that's the one that's like <laughs> oh fuck that was the clincher for me that yeah. was like oh my god i'm onto something yeah. yes yeah you killed you killed it with that one for sure mm. yeah good shit man but uh that that's my whole bag there's nothing but crumbs left <laughs> right yeah i mean like a lot of this was like you know i feel like we you know digged pretty deep inside of the things that could be digging digging mm-hmm. dug deep into <laughs> everything everything else is just like straightforward comedy or just like character moments to let to remind the audience like where certain people are you know what i mean on the battlefield and what they're doing you know in the in the current moment so there's not a whole lot to deep dive in every scene but yeah the, the mythology stuff and the awakening dialogue with kaido and the cover story and yeah i feel like we Feel like we gave it a good go. Yeah, uh, we done did. Uh, we done did dig. Uh, dug a dome. Uh, dug dim a dome. Doll off the dome. I don't know. That's all I got. <laughs> dug dim a dome. Owner of the Dimsdale. Do- all right. Well. <clears throat> Thank think- you for listening. <laughs> yeah, I think that's all. I think that's all I got for One Piece, man. You're good, right? Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, that'll do it for this chapter of One Piece. 
and this episode of the Project Manga Podcast. Thank you all so much for watching. If you did, make sure you slap a like on the video if you haven't already. Consider subscribing if you're enjoying the content so far and you are not subscribed yet. Um, check out our description section where you can follow us on Twitter and join our Discord or listen to the podcast on like Spotify or Apple Music or something. A lot of links down there. You should click them all. Um, check out our Patreon or our online store if you want to directly support what we do beyond just watching the videos, which is plenty of support as well. Um, but that'll do it. Wrapping up, I'm your host, Knox. And I'm Melo Yes. Catch y'all next time.